Hey everybody, this month's episode of the Raw Talks Super Podcast is brought to you by the Paradox Initiative, which I just wanted to let everybody know is available for pre-order slash late pledge. Uh, you can find a link for it down in the show notes or go directly to paradox.rado.com in case you missed out when it was crowdfunding and I covered it in prototype form. And once again, folks, I just gotta say, Jen and I really enjoyed this wonderfully puzzly game. Uh, it has kind of a bejeweled vibe with a lot of really nice set collection in a cool sci-fi setting. And um, what I didn't know at the time, I was just finding out, they actually have a higher level pledge that actually gives you not only the game and all the deluxe components, but four unique player mats that are all based on the art that comes with the game. And you get to choose, hey, do I want the Vincent Dutre art and the Miko art? Or I want the Andrew Bosley art? It's very, very cool. If you're looking for a higher level pledge and you really love absolutely gobsmackingly gorgeous player mats. But anyway, the game as a whole is wonderfully fun. It's beautiful and you can pre-order it again at paradox.rado.com and thanks to Elf Creek Games for supporting the show. And now, hey everybody, how are you doing? I've uh, got another fun episode, got a bunch of questions. I think we're going to be, how long is this show going to be? Uh, a pretty decent length. I think we are at about two hours or so, which to be honest is maybe a little bit shorter than some episodes, but that's okay. You folks submitted the questions. I'm going to start answering them when they're about games in the channel. And then a little bit later in the show, Jen will show up to answer a few game questions of her own. And then we'll go deep into personal territory for folks who are a little brave. And at the end, we'll even have some spoilers. But don't worry, all the uh, TV show spoiler talk is at the end of the show in the spoilers section. Phew. Okay, folks. As always, please send your questions to questions at rotto.com. If anything that I talk about or Jen talks about, you know, sparks an interest, let us know. Uh, if you want to know more about games or the show or just life, the universe, and everything, you know what to do. Send those questions to the email address, questions at rotto.com, and I will have a grand old time filling in. And without any further ado, let's get to last month's questions submitted by you right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, everybody, let's get to those questions. We are starting out today with Alejandro, who has uh, two things to say. First of all, in the previous podcast, I talked about uh, the fix that Altiplano does in comparison to Orléans, uh, that tiles only going back in the bag once it's empty. Yes, I do think that is much, much better. Uh, Alejandro wonders, have I ever tried playing Orléans with the Altiplano rules? No, I haven't. I suppose it would work. But, you know, the reality is, I mean, Reiner Stockhausen is no dummy. Uh, but, you know, he knows what he's doing, and I'm sure, I mean, maybe maybe something about the balance breaks if there's not a chance that you might end up drawing the same night over and over again, turn after turn after turn. Um, and on the flip side, you'll never get that monk that just stays buried at the bottom of the bag. I don't know. I mean, 
I definitely think it is superior to ensure that, hey, if something went in that bag, it will eventually come out. And I, you know, there's already enough randomness in the simulation. Yeah, I, in theory, it should work, right? I mean, there is all that stuff about how things kind of build up and go into the bag. So, yeah, I, I, I can't say that I've tried it. I'm, I haven't needed to because I've got Altiplano when it boils right down to it. I think Altiplano is the superior game. I've, I've considered uh, not holding on to Orleans because why would I play it if I've got Altiplano when it boils right down to it? Plus, we just uh, recently played um, Joan of Arc, the Orleans Rollin' Right. And honestly, I think I kind of like that one better too. It just needs an expansion or two to kind of like ratchet up to the uh, complexity of Orleans. And then that could be uh, a replacement for Orleans well. So. I mean, don't get me wrong, Orléans is still fantastic, and I'm terrible at saying it in French, Orléans, but um, yeah, I, if, if we were to sit down and play, I, I would play Altiplano, I think, any day of the week over Orléans because there's more setup variety just in general, and although, I mean, the, the, the co-op mode um, for that one expansion from Orléans is very good. Maybe it's worth keeping for that? I don't know. I, now you're making me wonder, should it go to the Dice Tower West Library? Maybe. Anyway, though. Um, uh, Alejandro then had a second question looking at my board game list. Alejandro noticed that I don't have Marrakesh. In fact, it's not even in the collection or in my top 10 for 2022. What? Oh, what was going on? Was it... Was my copy just a prototype? No, I had a full retail copy. Did I try Amerigo's Tower to see if that worked better? Yes, it did. I did, actually. I tried using cubes in my um, Marrakesh Tower, and those worked much better than the barrels. But I also tried using the barrels in my Amerigo Tower, and it worked much better both ways. Anyway, uh, Alejandro is in awe that the game wasn't a keeper. And, um, I mean, Jen loved it. For Jen, it was totally a keeper. I liked it. So, I mean, you know, if one of us loves it and one of us likes it, that's reason enough to do it. But honestly, well, I mean, there's two things going on. Um, it's a big box. It's not a small box. And uh, so that kind of, you know, makes me a little bit less likely to want to keep it because, hey, once a box gets over ticket to ride size, it gets tougher to squeeze into the uh, table or onto the shelves. And I would just always be worried because, you know, the publisher has never come out and said, this is the uh, this is what we expect. I'd always be worried that, oh, well, I'm just playing it wrong. And I, I mean, I can adjust it, but is that going to adjust it too far in the other direction? I mean, the, the lack of response from Queen about what is there, what is Steffenfeld's expected retention rate for that tower and never being 100% certain if it was going to work right, just, I think I would always be just a little bit... It just kind of bugged me in the back of my mind. Jen didn't care. Jen would happily... I mean, she loved the tower, even though it's meaningless. Although I should say also, there were several people on BoardGameGeek that said that their towers definitely held on to cubes, even when playing two players. So maybe it was just ours. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was a great game, but I mean, there was just too much baggage, uh, too much uncertainty, plus the large box size meant, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to make room for other games. I got plenty of Feld. It was certainly not my favorite Feld. I don't think it would make it into my top 10 favorite felt, even if the, I didn't have any tower problems. Because, I mean, I talked about it in my final thoughts. It's a really cool game. But, you know, the fact that 
Um, I mean, it doesn't allow for specialization because you have to do every single action. And I know there is still specialization because you can kind of do weaker versions of some actions to make other actions stronger. And it's still to focusing on what are you going to make stronger and then hit those particular things. But um, also, you know, another thing, I did play it at a higher player count. And it's definitely a game that's going to work better at a higher player count. I Also, if I were to ever play it again, I'd always think, boy, I think I'd rather be playing this with more players so there'd be more opportunity for more interaction um, you know, between the players. So... Um, yeah, I mean, all that stuff combined, I just, it just didn't make sense for me to keep it. It's very, very good, but yeah, it, I don't think it would make a top 10. Um, maybe as a three or plus player game, it might have. Anyway, then we're moving on to Andres, who says, oh, we don't have access to sale numbers, but Pandemic Legacy Season 1 has 75,000 owners listed on BoardGameGeek. Season 2 has 30,000. Season 0 has 13,000. I don't know these numbers will grow drastically for Season 2 or Season 0. I imagine... I mean, probably Season 0 still has some room to grow, I would think. But Season 2, I mean, gosh, it's been out for, what, half a decade? So it's probably kind of plateaued. Anyway, that's me guessing. Andres continues, All seasons are in the top 60 on BoardGameGeek, but why such a difference in a popularity of these games? Season 1 was the number one game on BG for quite a while and probably best gaming experience ever for a lot of gamers, myself included. Why wouldn't they want to experience the next chapter of that? I think it would be a failure if a movie sequel had one-third the box office legacy uh, aspect. Is the legacy aspect at fault? There aren't so many legacy games. It's too early for legacy fatigue. Maybe many people just didn't finish first season and weren't interested in starting another. Uh, Yeah, totally. 100%. And I mean... A movie sequel doing one-third of the box office is probably a disaster, but movie sequels tend not to do as well as their prequels. Um, you're only... I mean, you're not going to get new people. People are not going to say, oh, well, I missed the first one. I'll just skip the first one and go right to the second. So you are already... You know, the first one that comes out, you are potentially marketing that to the entire audience, the entire industry, because everybody feels like, oh, I can jump on board here. But if they didn't jump on board with the first one, suddenly uh, the second one doesn't have near a chance. You're only selling to a small segment of the entire industry. And as you say, there are going to be plenty of people who are like, well, yeah, I just don't want a sequel. I never actually finished the first. We still got to get back around to it and we're still trying to catch up with it. And so, yeah, you're going to, I mean, it's inevitable. It's it's almost unheard of that the sequel is going to do better than the prequel. I mean, it happens in movies and in games, but it's pretty unlikely. And um, yeah, the other thing is Pandemic Legacy uh, season one was really right game at the right place at the right time. I mean, before, I mean, it was really the second legacy. It wasn't necessarily the second legacy game. I mean, but Risk Legacy came out, made a big splash, but not very many people played it because nobody wanted to play Risk. And so, hey, I want to try out this legacy thing. Oh, and I know Pandemic. I like Pandemic. Let's try that. And um, so, I mean, it had a huge novelty factor. I mean, because there was just nothing else. You either went back and played Risk Legacy or you played Pandemic Legacy. Well, hmm, I want to try this new thing. Yeah, I'll try Pandemic. But, you know, if Pandemic Legacy weren't the second Legacy game ever to come out, but instead were the 15th, honestly... I don't think it would have as many sales as it does right now because there would have been some other game that um, you know really captured a lot of people's attention and just rocketed up the charts and took that oh the first legacy game that we can enjoy because we don't want to play Risk you know um, now if the first if the second legacy game had been Legacy Monopoly I don't think it would have done particularly well either but the first you know if the if the second legacy game had been Legacy Ticket to Ride 
it would have done hugely, and then subsequent ones would have fallen off as well. That's just the nature of it, because uh, you, you're just targeting uh, a, a progressively. I mean, trying to get the third. Well, now you're only you're only being able to target the people who played the second, which is a subset of the people who played the first, which is a subset of everything. It's just kind of uh, par for the course. Now, all that said, even if you loved Pandemic Legacy, Legacy Season Two was very sci-fi, post-apocalypse. It was a really different beast. And honestly, I don't think it was as well received, quite frankly. And uh, then Legacy, uh, you know, Season Zero, which is kind of a prequel, so you could say, oh, that, and honestly, I do think that is the best place. You're better off starting at Zero and then playing One and then playing Two, in my opinion. I wish I could have played them in that order. But at the end of the day, um, yeah, I don't, I, I think, I think by the time uh, Season Zero came out, Legacy was an established thing. It wasn't like the cool new thing that everyone wanted to try. So I think a lot of it has to do with that. Continuing on from Andrus, a year ago, I predicted that Jaws of Lion would overtake Gloomhaven in the number one spot. Now I'm not so sure. You are right. It will not happen. Uh, it, it, I, uh, it, 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 just, it just can't. Um, Gloomhaven... It certainly earned its spot, you know, and its meteoric rise. But Gloomhaven, like Pandemic Legacy Season 1, was kind of in the right place at the right time. Uh, it wasn't the first big box super mega game with 100 plus hours and all the minis and all of that. And all, you know, or not the minis, all the, the content that you'll just be able to play and play and play. And it was incredibly deep and incredibly rich. I mean, it was a get before it, there was really only a one other game, I think, that kind of scratched the same itch that Gloomhaven did. And that was Kingdom Death Monster, which was also a huge monster hit on Kickstarter, but it was always going to be um, it's limiting itself with all its like, you know, extreme violence and nudity and all the stuff that it has. So, um, you know, Gloomhaven is, uh, Gloomhaven has now created in the same way the Pandemic Legacy Season 1 kind of established a whole new genre and people say, oh, I've, I've tried it now, I got it, I don't necessarily need to uh, to, to try uh, something else. It was the first of its kind and so it had you know that early mover advantage. Same thing was true for Gloomhaven. N again, not that it was the first big giant, but it was the big gigantic first monster hit that was as big and ambitious. And now it's pretty common. You see two or three of those every year come out. So Jaws of the Lion doesn't have a chance. Now, what does Jaws of the Lion have going for it? That it is specifically designed to appeal to a broader audience because it has such a brilliant built-in tutorial. It's sold, was it at Walmart or Target? I don't remember where. And that's all great. So in theory, you think, hey, that means it targets an even bigger audience than Gloomhaven ever could. So that should reflect in the Board Game Geek rankings, right? There's the problem. I would be willing to bet the vast majority of people who pick up Jaws of the Lion have never even been to BoardGameGeek.com because they're just casual, normal people. The vast majority of people who buy the vast majority of board games that aren't super hardcore board game geek-specific niche games like the original Gloomhaven, um, you know, that's... I mean, it, it was pushed up to the top because of hardcore board game geek love. Regular board game fans are never going to be able to push a game that they love up quite that high. And so I don't think Jaws of the Lion could ever make it. Could Frosthaven? Maybe, but I think again, Frosthaven has a bunch of cool stuff. I'm excited to give it a go. But again, it's following on in the footsteps. It's not um it's 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 a different game. It's not reinventing the wheel. It's adding more stuff. I would have I would even posit it's probably a better game. 
But Gloomhaven is number one. It occupies that space both because it's brilliant, but also because it was in the right place at the right time. And um, Frosthaven doesn't have that luxury. It wasn't a thing that basically started a phenomenon. So I don't think Frosthaven will supplant Gloomhaven either. It could, though. You never know. Uh, Time will tell. Continuing on, there are few sequels that are as popular as original hits. Ticket to Ride Europe or uh, Twilight Imperium 4 come to mind. See, Twilight Imperium 4 is not really a sequel. They they uh, they package Twilight Imperium 4 as, oh, uh, you should throw away your old Twilight Imperiums. They're garbage now. Uh, Ticket to Ride does not do that. Pandemic does not do that. Pandemic, um, you know, uh, again, because they are true sequels or spinoffs, they um, don't incentivize the truly hardcore fans, that that nugget in the center that drives all of the passion and enthusiasm, those those people, uh, those lovers of Pandemic, are not um, inspired to throw away their original Pandemic to make room for the new one. Twilight Imperium 4, that's kind of like its whole, um, you know, raison d'etre. And so, uh, it's it's really brilliant. I mean, all games could do it, um, but, I I mean, I guess some other games do it too, right? It's not just TI4, but... Uh, you know, I mean, Ticket to Ride Europe is a very different thing. It is sold as a separate thing. It's like, hey, you like Ticket to Ride? Would you like it in a different flavor? It doesn't invalidate your original Ticket to Ride at all. We'll try this one out too. Oh, uh, but anyway, continuing on. Was Original Brass first edition a hit? Ah, it was, I mean, th- th- b- when Original Brass came out, we didn't have hits like we do today. It was a hit for the time, but back then, a hit was, oh my God, we sold 5,000 units. Nowadays, a hit is, oh my God, we sold 50,000 units. So, I mean, Brass was a big deal at the time, but I mean, again, Brass is a game that was only ever going to succeed amongst really hardcore, super niche players. Um, yeah, anyway. Uh, but, but all right, continuing on. Majority sequels to hit games have nowhere near the number of the originals. Have I worked on sequels in the video game industry? And there's a similar, 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 similar situation there. Yes, it is definitely true there also. Although, I mean, that's not always the case um, because. Uh, actually, is that the case so much? I'm trying to think. Of Call of Duty just continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, the Madden games get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, yeah, I don't. I think it's different there, but um, the thing is, you can you don't feel like, hey, I didn't play the last three Call of Duties. Yeah, I'll just get the latest one because they're all they feel much more standalone. Pandemic Season One, Two, and Three, they do. I mean, they are literally a three-part trilogy. You wouldn't want to play two without having played one. Um, you know, maybe. Pandemic uh, Season 2 would have done better if it wasn't so tied together. I think it probably would have still been the same, though, because, um, again, the original... I mean, I, I suppose this is definitely true in the video game industry as well, that if you've got a video game that does well just because it's so novel and new and interesting, and then everybody and their mother jumps on board and tries to do their own take on it, the chances are the follow-up to that is not going to do anywhere near as well. But I do think you're right. And I, I'm, I'm really... I wonder why that would be. Why do you get so many more, you know, uh, building on success that, I mean, you know, that they can snowball in sales? Or maybe they don't. Honestly, I don't know. I have to admit, I worked in the video game industry for 20 years. 
<clears throat> I very rarely in those two decades had access to actual broad industry-wide industry sale figures. They actually cost a ton of money and they were hard to get your hands on. And even if they did, that's not something I really studied. Hey, how well did this sequel do to the prequel? Uh, I never really did very many sequels. Uh, geez, did my, uh, my, my best example, Siphon Filter 2, did it do better than Siphon Filter 1? I'm trying to think back. I would imagine they probably did comparably the same. And then Seinfeld 3 and the subsequent ones were probably big drop-offs. Uh, oh, but Fable 2 certainly did much, much better than Fable 1. But that's because Fable 2 was a cornerstone game for the hardware. Uh, Fable 2 had Microsoft, uh, you know, not just Lionhead, backing it as uh, this is a game that everybody who owns this platform must get. So, I mean, that's what kind of pushed Fable 2 to, I mean, greater heights. Although, I mean, obviously... I'd like to think Fable 2 is uh, better received because I worked on it as well. Oh, that's the height of hubris because it did so many more things and because the industry was bigger. Um, you know, I mean, the video game industry or the, the target audience has continued to grow. I mean, the, the video game audience is growing faster relative to itself than the board game audience is, I believe, because the video game audience has, for the most part, completely shattered any kind of pop culture stigma of, oh, you know, that's just for kids. I, I think you, you've now got... We've had like two... I mean, I'm, am I the first generation? I was born in 69. Am I the first generation that um, played ga video games as a kid and kept doing them as an adult? Maybe? No, probably my generation, by and large, probably didn't do that. So probably the next generation after me. What's that? Um, I'm I'm X. So Gen Z? No, is it millennials? I guess millennials are probably a generation where, hey, when we hit adulthood, we never stop. And I'm sure the same will be for Zs, and I think the next gen is like Gen Alpha or something like that. Board games haven't hit that yet. We still got a long ways to go before we can get the truly meteoric, hey, as long as the population continues to increase, so will our target audience. Um, but we're getting better all the time, too. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, Dice Tower, Man vs. Meeple, Geek All-Star, and other board game media have been obsessed with Marvel Snap. As a Marvel fan, have you tried this game? No, I'm not interested at all. I could care less. It's a dueling wizard game. It's a Magic the Gathering clone. I mean, I know, don't get me wrong, I know it's very, very different, but it is still just sitting down and playing my cards to beat up your cards to beat up you. One, I have no interest in that as a gameplay formula. Uh, and two, even if I did... I'd rather play it in analog form. If I wanted to play that, I would play the, um, oh, what is it called? Dice Throne. The Marvel's Dice Throne games. And, um, you know, roll dice. I want to touch things. I want to interact with my wife playing games instead of random strangers on the internet that I don't care about. So, yeah, I'm just not interested at all. Uh, yeah, I've, I've watched a couple videos of it. Paulo had an early, I think he had like a beta of it, and he actually tried to get me involved. And I, I'm like, I just don't, I just don't. It's just not for me. I'm so burned out on video games. I just can't ever imagine going back. Um, right. Oh, but then uh, what are my thoughts on the game? I think I just gave them. I'm sure it's great. I think it's incredibly sad that it's such a... Bl As I understand it, having never played... Marvel Snap or Air, Land, and Sea. But as I understand it, Marvel Snap is such a close um, homage, let's say. I won't say ripoff, because I don't know. But I have certainly heard plenty of people say that, oh my god, the developers of uh, Marvel Snap just blatantly ripped off Air, Land, and Sea. And I do know, I think the, de uh, the lead designer of Air, Land, and Sea posted somewhere, yeah, it makes me really sad that that thing's literally raking in millions and millions, and um, they didn't even give me a thanks. 
so that some people might go out and try to seek out my game, which they had so very clearly played and taken inspiration from. So mostly that's mainly what I know. Although that's all hearsay. I've never looked into it myself. That's just what I've heard from other people. That it's kind of a pretty blatant, wow, hey, this is a really great analog game. Let's just take it and slap Marvel characters on it and make a mint. Um, but I don't know if that's true. Daniel says, one, will you be trying to get Osworn from Shea to play? Uh, we need a comparison to Primal when it comes out. Uh, I will not do that. I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, don't worry, I would like to get a copy of it, definitely, because... I genuinely regret. I they I, you know they offered to send it to me, and I'm like, I just don't know. And, you know, Frosthaven is coming, and do I really want another big box? I want you to send it to Shea too. This is really up his. And so they sent him, and I watched his video, and oh my gosh, this is so fantastic, so fantastic. So I would, I do feel I need to play it. Um, well, I I, I have a list. Right now, of course, you know one of the things I'm always having to do as we get closer to the end of the year is start thinking about okay, my top ten of the year and all that. And I've got a list of what my current top 10 is. I've got a list of games that I need to get played before the end of the year. And I would definitely put Oathsworn on that because I think Oathsworn could push its way into my top 10 of the year. I don't think that's going to happen. That seems unlikely. But hopefully, heck, maybe at Dice Tower West Convention or something like that, I'll get a chance to play it. Because um, it, it's definitely on my list of, okay, I got to get this played before April of next year when I do my updated and finalized top 10. Because it's absolutely essential that I try it out because it looks so good. But no, I'm certainly not going to... I mean, I, yeah, I could pull rank and say, hey, Shay, uh, let me PayPal you the money. You need to send me that copy of Oathsworn. But I'm not going to do that. He loved it. Alrighty. What are your top five mechanisms that have become a must for you for a particular genre? To clarify, my question with an example. If someone makes a dungeon crawler, I want it to be card-driven. Or if someone makes a dungeon crawler, I want it to have a book map a la Stuffed uh, Fables or Jaws of the Lion, etc. So... Five mechanisms become my must-do for a particular genre. Hmm. Well, we got to pick the genre. Let's see here. I want to say co-op, but I know co-op is not a genre. Uh, co-op is a uh, what would you call it? It's a, a categorization. It's not a genre. Um. Oh wait, no. Maybe it is. I mean, you didn't say mechanism. You said dungeon crawl. I would say co-op. Okay, I'm going to do this for co-op. What are the five things that a co-op must do for uh, for for me to want to uh, hang on to it? Okay, it has to be under two hours, with only very few exceptions. I mean, but that's true for all games, no matter what the genre is. It has to. It has to have real. I mean, more than anything else, it has to have interesting interaction between players, where we are truly. Um, you know, feeling like, hey, I do things not to help me, but to help you and therefore get the team forward. A lot of co-ops don't do that very well. A lot of co-ops, hey, I'm just kind of playing my solo game and you're playing your solo game and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But, I mean, that's probably not going to be a co-op we're going to hold on to. Um, a co-op has to have a fair bit uh, or have a good ratio of predictability and randomness. A lot of co-ops... Make the mistake of just saying, hey, let's have an event deck and you never know what's going to happen. And oh, surprise, now deal with this, now deal with this. A good co-op gives you enough um, 
to uh, enough visibility into what is going to potentially happen next turn, next round, next whatever, that you can make informed decisions. Uh, pandemic, of course. Hey, um, you know, once you uh, once the pan- once the epidemic hits and you take the uh, discard Kyle, shuffle it up and put it back on top of the deck. You don't know when the cities are going to get hit, but you know which cities are going to be hit next. And so suddenly, all your planning uh, turns into that. Uh, uh, the captain is dead, right? Or the, that's the the Star Trek game. Is it called The Captain is Dead? I think it's called The Captain is Dead. As long as your ship's sensors are online, um, you get to see the next three event cards. So you know three rounds ahead of time what the event is going to be. In Gloomhaven, um, you know, the monsters are driven by decks that have predictable behavior. I know these types of monsters are tending to do these types of things. And, oh, they've already played that one super card, so I know that's not going to happen again until they reshuffle their deck. Stuff like that. Um, You know, those sorts of things. Um are really, really absolutely crucial. Uh, Let's see. Is that three things I've said? And you want five. Oh, you're a monster. Uh, Variable setup, of course, but that's going to be kind of true for most games. Very rare that a game that doesn't have some kind of variable setup with unique player powers and all that. So, but I, I would say that's even more important in a cooperative game than it is in a competitive game. Because, of course, in a competitive game, even if the game is set up exactly the same, your opponent is a seed. Hey, every time they do something different, um, you know that has the potential to branch off and make more interesting, varied things happen. So, um, but you know, co-ops are a bit more static, even if they have a random event deck and all that. So, uh, you know, they need to push a little bit further with you know unique player powers and all that. And okay, this is my role. This is what I want to do. I'm part of a team, and I, this is my job. Um, you know, in, in a competitive game, I'm a bit more comfortable making my own job, and that's cool for a co-op game too. I mean, it's, I don't want to be too bound by it, but still, I mean, I think that's important. One more thing that a co-op gotta do. Co-op gotta do. Man, I don't want to be too broad, but it has to be subject matter I care about. I don't care how great it is. If it's a co-op game about um, professional sports, you know, being a, you know, trying to score goals or baskets or whatever, I'm probably not going to care. I just simply don't. So it's got to have a theme that's really engaging too. I kind of petered out there because that's just kind of pretty basic stuff. But hopefully that was of some interest. Okay, Dave says recently I played Agizia. Says Dave, and I was looking for your run through to get me up to speed. And I was shocked to see you've never covered the game, either the original or the updated version from a few years ago. How could it be that you haven't done a run-through for this game? It seems like something you and Jen would have enjoyed. Interestingly, I played Agizia many the original Agizia many, many years before Rado Runs-Through was ever a thing. Not many, many years. Uh, because, what? I think it was three years between the first time we played Pandemic and the first time I filmed something. But I played Agizia in that window when I was still just a regular gamer before I picked up the camera. And I remember it was probably one of the first games in my early days of being a board game geek that really made me aware of just how important it is for proper player scaling. Because it's been so long, I don't remember the particulars, but I remember thinking, wow, this really doesn't work very well for two. I bet this would be so much better with more. Let's get rid of it. And I traded it away. Now, I know the you know the Super Deluxe Anniversary uh, Wonderful Edition came out, and I would have totally been down for it. Who published it? Uh, because the only reason I didn't is because uh, they never uh, reached out. Let me see. How do you spell Egizia? E-G-I-Z-I-A. Oops. Uh, come on, browser. What are you doing? Uh, E-G-I-Z-I-A. 
Let's go on ahead. And right, so the original 2009 Agizia came out right around the same time as Pandemic. Yeah, I, well, let's see. Does Board Game Geek recommend it for two? Um, ba, ba, ba. No, they say uh, Community rates it for two, but best at four. I don't know that I agree with that. I, I don't know, I remember the particulars, but I remember thinking, boy, this game really kind of suffers with only two. Um, but the follow-up, Agizia Shifting Sands, that came out a decade later, a 10-year anniversary, from Stronghold Games and Matago, and I don't know. I guess Stronghold never thought to send it to me. And, uh, you know, it's weird, too, because Stronghold tends to send me most everything, whether I asked for it or not, but they never did this one. I would have totally covered it, though, because I would have loved to have revisited it and seen what they would have done to make it a more interesting one. But, yeah, it just never happened. That It's one of those ones that slip, slip between the cracks. You can see it's on my wish list. It's, I mean, even have it rated a three. It's not as a thinking about it. It's a like to have. That means it's a game I know I want to try someday. The publisher just never reached out. And... Um, if you go to wishlist.rado.com, you'll find dozens and dozens and dozens of games that I've labeled a one, two, three, a one, a two, or a three that um, Squire for Hire. Well, actually, I did cover that in prototype form, but man, I'd love to get a final version of that. Um, Arkwright, the card game. I would definitely love to try that, but um, the publisher never reached out. Uh, the, the latest expansion for Mystic Veil. I would love to do that one. Hey, there's more Squire for Hire. What a coinkydink. Um, yeah, so uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of them. Oh, I should get rid of these expansions, though. I'm going to get rid of expansions. Although I'm going down the rabbit hole. Don't go down the rabbit hole too long. Just new games. New games. Uh, oh, of course, that hasn't come out yet. Ten Penny Parks. Boy, I really... Oh, hey, I just noticed Jen's on screen. That Why is that? Uh, Jen is not here yet. Folks who are watching instead of listening, sorry, Jen at no time has been sitting right off screen. Let me go on ahead and disappear that picture. Jen will be joining us later for the uh, for a few game questions and the personal stuff. So anyway, yeah, Agizia is just one of many games that I would love to give a go to. Uh, let's see how many of them are from 2017 that are on this wish list. 20, well, even go 14, 2014. Um, yeah, uh, Yager and Spaller. I really want to try that one. 2015. Uh, oh, Ch- Chada and Thorn, uh, The Legends of Andor. I really want to try that. Actually, that's really interesting. Uh, uh, 2016, how many? There's nothing from 2016 that I've identified I want to try. That's surprising. 2017, nothing. 2018. Okay, 2018. There's a bunch of stuff. Demons and Demigods. Oh, no, that's a four. All right, Keyforge. I definitely want to try Keyforge ever since they put out a co-op mode. Maybe it'll tick all my co-op boxes I mentioned earlier. And um, uh, uh, Shingu, I really want to try that one. Captains of the Gulf. Oh my gosh, I totally want to try that one. Okavongo, I want to try that. Chronicles of Frost, uh, Railways of Nippon. And um, yeah, so that was a bunch. And then what, 2019, which is the year of Gizia. Chocolate Factory. Although I did, t- I, I would just like, I would love to get a final copy of that because I thought it was great. Dominations. Oh, I've only played a, a demo prototype, of but I still want to play Dominations: Road to a Civilization. Scotland Yard, the dice game. I want to try that. Metal Gear Solid. That never came out, did it? Agizia Shifting Sands. That. Uh, oh, Queen of Hansa. I really want to try that. What is up with that? It seems like. Um, well, of course, I guess that's going to be a, a sort of a natural thing. That hey. Back in 2014, not many games came out. And I ultimately got to play all the ones I wanted to play. But 2018, 2019, yeah, a bunch of games came out that I really wanted to try that I never got around to because the publishers never contacted me. And that makes me sad because I'd love to give them a go. But time moves forward. There's just no more time. But anyway, let's get back to Dave. 
Okay, we're done with Dave. Let's move on to Kirk. Kirk notes that I often say that the only reason I do final thoughts is because people and even publishers demand them. Um, people demand them. I don't, I don't think I've ever had a publisher demand them. Uh, I don't think a publisher's ever said one thing or the other about But yes, but my audience, the diehard, hardcore audience who actually, you know, supports me on Patreon, the, you know, the people who literally, uh, you know, keep this show running have said, yes, we want it. So yeah, I do them. But anyway, uh, from Kirk, I always watch your final thoughts to hear your discussion on player count. For longer, heavier games, where you only play through the first part of the game, I want to hear your thoughts of the end game. Yeah, understandable. Uh, the last quarter of the game. I would love if you could give an overview on how the end game plays out, even if it feels, even how it feels to you in final thoughts. That's a fair point. That is interesting. Hmm. That begs the question of. Should I have some list of checklists? Like, okay, I got to add this and this and this and this. I've always kind of re- resisted that, you know, trying to become too uh, prescribed, too, oh, well, let me just do this by the book and let me just tick off all the boxes and just, you know, I, honestly, it would probably make my life a lot easier if I did a Z Garcia target style system where, okay, all I got to do is just fill in all the blanks for this game and not really think about it. Um, but I mean, I've always just kind of felt more natural and more spontaneous and more earnest and, and real by just saying, well, hey, these are the things that stick that stick out to me. I think I do actually talk about the end game if the end game is something that really sticks out to me as something that's war. I mean, I mean, but if the game is already great, I mean, if, if a game is great because of its end game, I suspect it is probably something I'll mention. I suspect. Uh and um and honestly, the end game is often not the big, uh, big. I mean, for me, often a big. My favorite part of the game is the beginning, and you know, and that kind of ramping up, and that end game, when you're just trying to squeeze the last few things out of whatever it is you've built, are is is often not. I mean, usually, the longer a Euro game goes, the heavier it gets, the crunchier it gets, the more analysis paralysis it gets, the more my wife slows down, and the less fun I'm actually having. So, it is interesting. That it, it, I think it's a special game where the end game is so interesting and different than the rest of the game that it would actually warrant being specifically called out by me. And I suspect that if it would, I would call it out. I'm not sure, though. You've given me something to ponder, Kirk. Uh, anyway, moving on to uh, Marius. During the last crowd sorcery, I said that I looked through tons and tons of games to find the best ones that deserve higher attention. Not exactly. I d- it's not that they deserve higher attention. It's just the sole metric for that show is the ones that I really like. The ones that I would, if I didn't already have anywhere from 50 to 100 games in my backlog, if I were just a normal person that I would consider backing based on what I know. That is the only metric um, for that. But anyway, continuing on. Uh, thank you for that, as this is good for us and the whole industry. And, um, well, <laughs> thank you for the thing I said I don't do. I mean, I... I do take pride in finding a little unsung gems that nobody else has talked about. I, you know, I, 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 that makes me happy to do it. But still, I see plenty of unsung, unsung gems that no one is talking about that I still would not want to play. And so I don't talk about those. It's really the, oh, the beginning and ending metric of that show is, is it something that I would con- seriously consider backing myself? Not that I do, because again, it's not like I need more games. I don't have enough time to cover the games I've already got. Uh, but anyway. 
Okay, continuing on. So, Mary says, and then you said that you exclude player versus player games and those which are less party. Yeah, because again, it's not about just because I think they deserve more attention. It's because they'd be things I want. So yes, I do exclude, and that's why I'm trying to be super clear about that right up front. Um, you know, because every every time I do that show, it's always tough. I always see games that, oh my god, this is an incredibly big game, and I know everybody's really hot for it, and maybe I should talk about it and give my opinion, but. I have no interest in this game because it's a player versus player game or it's a party game or whatever it is. I just don't care. So I, I leave them off. Uh, but anyway, I always feel... But again, I've, I've decided that's my metric. I'm not just trying to say all the news is fit to print. Uh, the the sole guiding is, or would they be ones I'd want to get? And you know, here's who I am. I always say who I am at the beginning. Anyway, though, uh, for Mary's, I think we all know your gaming preferences as you're explaining them very often. I explain it every time on this show because I assume there are, every time I put up a new episode of that, there are going to be plenty of people who are seeing my channel for the first time and have no idea who I am and have no idea why I would not be talking about some really cool, hot game um, because of my predilection. So I always feel it's important to say. Um, all right, anyway. Mary Hughes respects that in 100% I d- uh, that uh, Mary Hughes does not have any intention to question uh, in any way, but was inspired to ask. In real life, Mary Hughes also hates any kind of violence, but I don't mind PvP or competitive games as they're bringing different emotions versus co-ops, which I also love. We all have our preferences. But do you think that excluding sometimes in games due to personal preference is okay for such an influential... See, now, okay, you're getting to what I'm talking about. This is... Honestly, it's the hardest freaking show I do. Um, because I, I look at... I Every time I do it, I look at probably over 100 games um, you know, that are going to be closing out in the next two weeks. And I actually... I, I open a tab for every single one. Maybe not over 100, but certainly, certainly at least 50 games every time. Somewhere between 50 and 100 games. And I open up all these tabs. They're like little microscopic. And I, and I go through all of them. I watch videos. I read the descriptions. I sometimes read the rule books. It takes a long freaking time. And so I'm aware there are a lot of really great games I am not talking about. And um, <coughs> I could make the metric something else. I could make say, hey, these are just all the good games, whether I like them or not. But... The show would be two freaking hours long then. I mean, I'm also trying to keep the show quick. I'm trying to keep it under 15 minutes. So I'm I'm putting a really hard limit on myself. Two, I'm also trying to summarize the games and not go on in depth about them for five or ten minutes like I could easily do. Like I'm doing with this very question right now. I have a tendency to pontificate. And so I'm trying to keep that to be a snappy, fast-paced uh, show where it's only talking about like the, you know, the, really, the, the things that really stood out to me more than anything else. And you're right. There is no two ways about it. I am sure I could just go right now and look at what's closing on, um, I mean, on Kickstarter. And I could say, oh, yeah. I know people would like to hear about this. I know there's a lot of people who would like this, that, or that, but I don't like them. And that's the metric I've chosen for myself. Um, oh, you, you continue. PvP games can have great mechanisms or theme, and they also deserve people's attention. Yeah, especially when I find a really cool little one that is maybe not even going to fun, but oh my god, that is such a great dueling wizard game. Oh, that's so sad. But... Yeah, I mean, again, I don't want this show to be two hours long if I were to talk about everything I see that's good. Because, contrary to popular belief, we are at a point now in our industry where most games are at the very least good. There are very few 
actively bad games that are coming out these days because it's really a science. Um, you know, people have studied, people have learned what it takes. And the truly bad games, anybody can spot them a mile away. There's no reason to talk about them, really. Um, so, yeah, it's tricky. Oh, wait, wait, continuing on. I hope you get my point. I also need to say it again that you and your team are the best in the board game industry. Thank you. And I appreciate all the work you're doing. When I need to get any info about a game, Rotto is the only way for me. Again, thank you. And I and I appreciate that. I'm totally aware of that. That I am shortchanging um, stuff. But I really want to keep that show short and peppy and snappy. And the best way I could do it is to focus on the ones that just speak to me. Now, I do have a, I have a problem with that, too. Because there's actually two metrics that will get a game listed in the CrowdSorcery show. It's one that I've learned about that I think I would really enjoy and I would seriously consider backing if I didn't already have 5,200 games and I don't have enough time to play what I already have. And the other thing they'll get on the show is, hey, did you uh, do a, a preview? Did we? I mean, did I or somebody else on the channel cover it? Because if those are the case, well, yeah. I mean, they, they paid previews. I would feel remiss. They are our clients, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mention them. You may have noticed for the uh, not the most recent crowdsourcing, but the two prior to that, I actually broke it into two halves. Here's all the things I'm interested. In. Some of the ones I covered, some of the ones not. And by the way, here's a few more games, and I didn't spend much time on them because I just said go watch the run through that Kimberly or Shay or Ruel or Amy and Maggie did. It wasn't for me, but I can see why it'd be for some people. And see, that's already a slippery slope. I mean, that ends up making me have 10, 12 or 15 games I've got to talk about, which means, well, unless I'm talking about each game for only 30 seconds, it means I'm getting dangerously long, and I really want to keep that show short and peppy. That's the tricky thing. That's the tricky thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. And honestly, you are the first person to ever mention anything. I'm always surprised. I always expect, every time I put up that show... Because it, you know, it gets two to three thousand views on YouTube, and then another couple of thousand views uh, in podcasts for people who download and listen to it instead of watch it. And I always expect there's going to be of those five or six thousand people, somebody saying, "Hey, what about this incredibly hot game? Why didn't you talk about it?" But nobody ever does. So I've just kind of resigned myself. So okay, I guess it's not really a problem. But I think honestly, you're right. I'm really not necessarily being fair to all the games out there. But it's just it's I, I, it just feels like it's the right thing for me, if you know what I mean. Okay. Matilda says, I really meant to thank you for your advice. I've never heard of the game Photograph, also known as Wine the Film. Before um, you mentioned it on your show a few months ago, I bought it and we love it! In spite of all the frustration, I totally get what you mean. Oh, it's such a brilliant little design, but yeah, it really can grind your gears in a lot of different ways. As you said, um, it's no surprise that we love it because we already love Parade, Little Songbirds, Our Eco, etc. Is there a name for the mechanism uh, these games have in common? If not, how would you name it? Do you have any suggestions of games that would be similar in that aspect? Now, I have to admit, I've never played Parade or Little Songbirds or R Echo, but I'm assuming you are talking about the mechanism of you can't rearrange your hand of cards. However they got dealt to you, that you got to keep them in your hand that way and deal them. I don't think there is a mechanism for that. But of course, Bonanza from Uwe Rosenberg, I don't know if that was the first game that... Um, pioneered that genre, but it is certainly the poster child. Let's see. B-O-H-N. Let's see if Bonanza has a mechanism named after it. If we go to Bonanza and we see what its mechanisms are, hand management, melding and splaying, negotiation set collection, family, uh, multi-use cards, uh, the bean games, lookout, 
Uh, nothing really that um, speaks to it. Maybe a later one. I mean, you know, because the original Bonanza, that's so old. What is the most recent? What is the newest Bonanza? Bonanza the Well, the Bonanza the Duel do, does it. Uh, set collection he has even fewer definitions. Jeez. So, uh, here's the deal. I don't know. There aren't very many games that do it. And it's a real shame because it's a wonderful mechanism. I absolutely love it. The whole, hey, I got a hand of cards and I cannot uh, maneuver, rearrange the cards in my hand. I feel like we've seen a few games of it. Hey, maybe Bonanza the 25th anniversary. Hand management, melding and splaying. Nope. Okay, so there is nothing that... Um, so if I was trying to find more games that do a particular mechanism that I really like, that unfortunately Board Game Geek has never actually... Um, categorized as a mechanism so I could search and sort by it, what I will often do is I will go look at a game, you know, probably like the premier game that everybody knows for it, and I will, let's see, is it in a family? Nope, uh, not really a family that somebody might have made. Is it in a geek list? Let's look at the geek list that Bonanza is in, because I bet you at some point somebody has made a geek list of all the games that do what Bonanza does, you know, that hand kind of management thing, and um, you know, and maybe it's updated. That might be a way to do it. Um, but the problem is, it probably won't be a particularly uh, exciting boy. That is a tough one to find. You know what? I am. <laughs> I'm sorry, Matilda. I do not have a good way to do this one. This I would. I would personally like to play more games that are in this genre, which is unfortunately a genre that nobody has uh, ever decided to quantify or classify. Or, for my very casual look, even make a list of. Let's see, what about the 25th anniversary edition? That's a newer game. It won't be... I mean, you know, Bonanza has been around forever. It was it? 2000... Or 1997. Let's look at the 25th anniversary. It will be in fewer geek lists. Maybe we can find a geek list that... Um, or where did it go? 25th. 25th. There it is. All right. Let's see. Still no fa- uh, components. Multi-use cards. No... No, no, no. All right. So let's try this. There's only 17 geek lists that Bonanza 25th Anniversary is in. Maybe one of them will be a geek list that identifies this particular type of mechanism. Negative one climbers. Nope. Uh, New to you in August. Uh, board game getaway library. Uh, I don't think... Wow. It's just you and me, Matilda. We're the only ones who love it. So here's the next thing I would recommend you do. Because I know I've played other games that do it. I cannot think of them at all. My brain recall doesn't work that way. I was just going to faq.rado.com, going to um, entry number five, which then leads you to a link that is, you guessed it, the uh, recommendations forum on Board Game Geek. And you post a thread saying, games like... Bonanza, or you know, whatever you know, games with this type of mechanism. Describe what it is. Describe why you like it. And I guarantee, within 24 hours, you will have a list of probably every game that has ever come out that people want that. Because this recommendation form is the greatest superpower that Board Game Geek has. I guarantee. I appreciate you came looking to me. I I I would be curious to know more myself. I can't think of them, but I guarantee you, the hive mind of Board Game Geek will fill you in on pretty much every other game that's ever done it. I would be willing to bet. So give that a try, Matilda, and report back. Okay. Mm. Uh, Matthew says I noticed R and R Extended Podcast Fifty Three had a bunch of non-rado ads. Did it? 
that's good news. Well, it's not good news for you, but uh, apparently I, I had set up when I went to Anchor.fm, I'd set up, you know, hey, every episode starts with a, you know, me saying how much I like it. I mean, I, do, I think Anchor.fm is fantastic. Um, I have often spoken well of it, um, even when I wasn't getting ad dollars to, to say it because it's a sponsored ad. Uh, but, you know, they, they, so they have that where you can sign up for particular things. And the only one I've ever seen is just themselves. But then you can sign up for Spotify ads. And I'd signed up for it and it was working for a while, but then it stopped. And actually, I only just recently got an email because I'd written them saying, hey, this doesn't seem to be working. Why isn't it working? And so they said, we think it's working now. And you've just confirmed it's working. So yes, uh, you will probably, going forward here... Um, you know, a, a few ads. I, I've been trying to put them in like every, once every half an hour, every half an hour to an hour, depending, but no more often than that. You know, uh, I think that's, yeah, I think like every half an hour to an hour, there'll be a little ad break. And, uh, because, Hey, I, I make a few bucks off of that and uh, it's expensive living and I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm trying and, um, but here's the thing. Well, actually, wait, let me see the rest of your question. Is this a feature you've turned on? Does it generate uh, material income for the channel? Do you have any control over the number of ads or the types of ads? I've always been curious about this topic because all the podcasts I listen to have ads like this. Yes. Okay, I will answer all of these things. Um, yes, it is a feature I've turned on. I turned it on a while ago. It was working, but it stopped, and apparently it's now working again. Does it generate material in- amount of income? As I recall, when the Spotify ads were working, they were just bringing in like 20 bucks a month. And honestly, hey, uh, you know, a uh, uh, 75 cents to a buck and a half a day, that's worth it for me to spend the, it, it, you know, every time I put up a video, it takes me about three minutes to insert those ads. I just say, you know, Spotify, or not Spotify, Anchor.fm has a phenomenal editor, a uh, really great audio editor. Again, I'm doing an ad for it, even though no one's paying me to talk about it right now. That makes it so easy to just, uh, you know, scrub through and say, oh, hey, look, there's a good place. Um, okay, I, I basically say, oh, I need to, it's been about a half an hour. Let's put one here. Let's zoom in. Let's fast forward. Let's rewind until until I, until I finish a sentence. And I feel like, oh, that's a place where I could, where we could stop and we can interrupt with an ad about, I don't even know. I've never heard them myself. I don't know what they are. I do have control over them because I can classify certain things not to do. And I have classified, hey, nothing about politics, nothing about, um, oh, there's like a handful of things, like four or five categories I turned off. Let me see. I've still got it open. Let me see if I can find that. Because, like I said, the page was broken for quite a while, but it seems to be working now. Um, Let's see. Where do I find all this information? There's a lot of information. Here it is. I think it's in this tab. And uh, for my automated ads, I have excluded four categories. I have excluded energy, oil, and gas. You'll never hear um, any fossil fuel. I'm I'm not making any money off of fossil fuels. Uh, Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Politics and elections. And that's a subcategory. Right. So actually, yeah, that's it. So you might hear stuff about legal services, home and garden. Um, oh, gambling. Jeez, turn that off. Boy, I'm glad I looked at this. I am. You will. You should never hear anything about gambling. No ads about gambling. But food and drink, sure. Uh, fitness and recreation, sure. 
Uh, parenting and family? Sure. Um, education and training? Sure. Collectibles and antiques? Yeah. Clothing and fashion? Business to business? Beauty and grooming? Beauty services? Yeah, I don't mind any of that stuff. But I just put another one. You should never hear any gambling ads. I have, I mean, so I have that level of control. I can say, I don't want these particular things ever to show up. Um, and yeah, every time it happens, it's because I went in and I said, okay, now it's not necessarily, every place I put them, they don't necessarily always play as I understand it. They'll only play sometimes, uh, anchor.fm does some kind of random on the fly when I believe when you download, when, when you, Hey, the latest episode of this podcast gets downloaded to your app at that moment. You know, right before you download, Anchor.fm creates a unique MP3 that only you have, that's pretty much everything I recorded, plus a collection of ads that will go into the spots when I said. So that, um, you know, years from now, you won't be hearing, if you, if you listen to, if you listen to an episode from year, from now, in 10 years from now, you'll hear ads that are appropriate 10 years from now. It like auto-generates. And I thought, oh, that's really cool too. Uh, it's kind of evergreen. So yeah, I, that's what I have control over. Now, there they did... And the reason I noticed it wasn't working is because they updated the interface. It used to be you could only put the intro ad and two mid-roll ads in. And But like I said, I don't think it had been working at all. The new interface lets you put in as many ads as you want. I'm still trying to put them in only at um, every 30 minutes. So you only hear an ad break every 30 minutes, which seems reasonable to me. You know, this episode is probably going to be 90 minutes. So in theory, you'll hear a couple of ad breaks plus my intro thing. Uh, and I haven't heard anybody complain about it, but Matthew, if it bothers you or anybody else who's listening right now and you're like, boy, I really would like to hear this podcast without any ads. I've got a solution for you folks. Go to patreon.com slash Rotto. And if you back this show at just $1 a month, you get a bunch of stuff. And one of them is access to, um, the RPP podcast feed, the Rotto Patreon podcast. Every single thing that goes on to the regular podcast appears on my Patreon podcast, but without the ads. Um, There'll still be the thing at the beginning about... Or who is it? Oh, um, um, uh, Elf Creek Games. Elf Creek Games, because they've been sponsoring the show. So you'll still hear that, because that's me actually recording it. But me talking about Anchor.fm or whatever other ads pop up, you just don't hear any of that stuff for a buck a month. Plus, you get to vote on what games I cover and a bunch of things. And now if you back it two bucks a month, you actually get exclusive podcast stuff that you don't get on this regular podcast channel. Every month, in addition to, you know, the uh, R&R shows and the regular Rotto Talks Through and the um, the Roundup and, you know, and, and you know, the various other things, I also do the monthly ramble where it's kind of like a... Usually it's about an hour or two hours long. I do lists of games. I do all kinds of stuff. Um, if you back at a higher level, you get to hear Jen talk about how, rank all the games we played over the month. It's like her version of the monthly roundup. She calls it. We call it Jen Jogs. And there's a third one. There's a third one, or no? There's. A, I think there's those those two. So there's like two extra podcast shows I do uh, for people who back on Patreon. So it's something to consider. But yeah, um, I hope it's not too terribly bothersome for people. It's. But please, if you're ever thinking, oh boy, that ad again, please bear in mind, it's helping keep this show going. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, I, I, it, 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 it's, you're, you are not listening to them in vain. Uh, but if you don't want to listen to them, hey, just throw me a buck on Patreon and you'll get the ad-free version. Okay, oh, and then the final question from Nier. I've mentioned in one of the recent crowdsourcery episodes that I helped Dave Turchie start out in the industry. Nier would love to hear the details about how this happens, since we're both some of Nier's favorite people in the industry. Now, as it happens, Nier, 
I did talk about this. This was a trivia question on the R&R show. I do not know what episode, though. Let me see. If I go to R&R... Oh, excuse me. rnr.rado.com. I'm just going ahead and come back over here. That takes you to a playlist of every episode of the R&R show. Um... Oh, but you know what? I need to look at R&R episodes that have trivia. I can't... All right, so I'm going to pull back the curtain and you, people who are watching can actually see what it actually my YouTube studio looks like. But anyway, I just need to do a search for description with the word trivia in it. And that will give me R&R episodes that had trivia. Let's look at episode 33. Um, oh, let's see. What is going to be the best way to do this? Oh, this man, there's a lot of episodes that have trivia. I mean, it's a pretty common topic. Ooh, you know what? Okay, hold on a second. I'm just going to pause. I'll find it. I'll be right back. That didn't take very long at all. Uh, it was episode 32. Um, and, and, and all the R&R shows are available on this podcast stream. So near. Scroll, you know, whatever podcast app you're using, scroll back to through the um, and look for um, R&R episode 32. Not the f- not the show, but the R&R 32 Extended Edition, which is when Ruel and I do a lot of pre-show stuff and post-show stuff. And at one hour, and um, where was it? Hold on a second. I need to make you bigger. I can't quite see. Or actually, I can just go down to the show notes. Show more. Uh, trivia. Yes, one hour and 58 seconds into the show, we spin the wheel, the trivia wheel, it came up as me, and I told the story of, uh, or I, I told Dave Turchie's origin story um, in the board game industry and the part I played. So you can go listen to it there. And actually, I mean, you can listen to all the R&R episodes. We talk about all kinds of stuff there. Sorry you missed it. But anyway, I think, I think that was it, wasn't it? Yes, it is. Folks, this was a really short month. For podcasts or for for questions, I've already actually filmed the rest of this with Jen. I filmed all that yesterday because Jen is on the road today, so we filmed her stuff first, and now I'm filming my stuff. And uh, now I just got to go film the intro, and then I can put this video up tomorrow and the uh, podcast episode tomorrow too. And so you folks will get your questions. But folks, we need more questions as always. Send those questions to questions at rado.com, and you will get very long, rambly, not always satisfying, but at least trying to be thoughtful answers. So uh, hang on, everybody. We'll be right back with Jen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, everybody, we are back, and it's time for Jen to join the proceedings as we continue with a few more game questions, then get into the personal stuff. Although, as is often the case, I say all that with everything being backwards because I haven't recorded anything yet. I have no idea what's come before this. We're doing things out of order, but that's okay. Hi, honey pie. Hello. All righty. So, let's see. Actually, I forgot to do a volume check. Could you say hello again? I could say hello many times. Close enough. All right, we're starting with Alejandro, who says, Say, many eons from now that Rado retires from Rado Runs Through. How about many 
months from now, let's say. But regardless, uh, what changes, other than playing your favorite games more frequently, would you see in your gaming life? Would Jen uh, be up to play a game daily? Or how frequently would you see yourself playing games? Do you see yourself buying more than a dozen games each year? Or would you be less interested in seeking the hot games? Would you stay in touch with the gaming industry other than maybe assisting the channel every now and then, such as attending conventions and other events? Or would Rotto be full outcast mode? Smiley face. All right. I figured that's something we could both, uh, especially since the very first sub-question was directly related to you. Because, yeah, left to my own devices, of course, I would play a game every day happily. Uh, um, but that's uh, not generally in the cards these days because Jen feels like she needs to spend her time doing other things. So, honey, um, how often would we play games after I retire? After you retire? As the whole thing is prefaced on that. Seeing as how you will never allow yourself to retire because of your puritanical work ethic where you do not feel that you are a person of worth unless you are generating income and your entire identity is built around that, just like the vast majority of humanity has been brainwashed into thinking is the only true metric of a life well lived. Um, <laughs> well, sorry. That I, was a heck of a run-on sentence. I uh, went a little... UBI-ish there. Um, uh, I don't know that you are would ever allow yourself to retire. So really, the question is about what happens when I uh, unplug from the Matrix and say, yeah, this is not a necessary thing anymore. Uh, what would you do? You would keep working, so how often would we play games? All right, here's another way to put it. What would be your ideal... If you could stifle your urge to make your life stressful and um, miserable as you're like, oh, I must fulfill all these. Oh, now I've got to take pictures of every. Oh, i got to ship all this stuff out. And every once in a while you get the dopamine rush of, oh, they love my work so much. And, you know, for every 30 seconds of that, you get 10 minutes of, ah, stress. <laughs> if you could stop doing that, which I don't think is in your nature, uh, what would be your ideal amount of gameplay? Uh, Jen just stepped away to let Daisy through the door because she was scraping at the door. She was, a, she was scratching at but the door. But Jen is back now. Hi, Daisy. Um, well, I don't know that it's just your work. Oof. I think it's my wanting to make things. Oh, yes. Look at Daisy's just marked your table. Yeah, it's easy to mark. Um, oh, there we go, Daisy. Daisy, you gotta. And there go. and there's other things too that happen in our lives that. Um, I think I take care of 95% of, and mm -hmm. it's... Well, yes. I mean, so, that stuff still has to go on, of course. Yeah, so. are you going to start helping with that stuff? Uh, no. I, I'm, I, I'll have to worry about that stuff when you're dead. That's when I have to take it well, over. Well, I don't know. See, that's part of the thing is uh, we might have to talk about that a bit more. Uh-huh. There's a lot of, like, just daily maintenance sure. life stuff Yeah, yeah. that I wouldn't mind becoming a bit more 50-50 on. Which I have taken over completely since you were... Uh, I make the line share of cash, yeah. Well, but even just back in Bend. Mm -hmm. I think we were a lot more um, equal in our duties when we first yeah, got but, married and things. And yeah, then definitely. When, you when my working, career took off yeah. and you know, I started making six figures and all that and was working, yeah. you know... 80-hour weeks for three years at a time. You ended up taking over the day-to-day -day life. You're right. So, yeah. um, so I'm just wondering, are we going to go back to... Being a bit more... I don't know, Hippie Pie. You have created such a an insanely complex and Byzantine thing. I can't even... I don't even know where to start. It's so huge. Okay. Well, that's just 
uh, I don't know. That seems like something we need to discuss a bit more. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, I think when my mind clears of a lot of that sort of maintenance-y stuff, mm-hmm. then, yeah, I'd have a lot more room in my head for f- having fun. Right. That's good. Well, that's still at least the question. Um, but as I'm trying we went for to... a bike ride today before I did the chores. Yes, exactly. You had fun first. Yes. Because so... you could always get hit by a jumbo jet <laughs> falling out of the sky. So you... Uh, Always do the fun stuff first before the work. But what would be your ideal amount of gameplay in your life, honey? That's Mm. I'm trying to get to the the crux of Alejandro's question. Because that's really, I mean, I would, would, me, I would probably play a couple of games every day, seven days a week. I would be happy to do that. I don't suspect you share that attitude. So what would be your ideal amount of gameplay? Probably three to five games a week. Three to five games a week. Well then, Alejandro, that's what we would do. Um, right. And along the same lines... Actually, I mean, we, we, we skipped because I mean, this is a gen section. Uh, to the first part of the question, well, apparently I'd be uh, taking over more responsibility for, I don't know, managing the rental house in, that we own in England or, or whatever it is that Jen thinks. Uh, she wants to divest herself of and make me do more of. Here's the thing. Whatever you put me in charge of, I will very quickly find a way to get it out of our lives forever. Uh, because I'm all about, well, this isn't worth it. Yeah. Uh, this isn't worth the work. Let's just get rid of it. Let's just figure out. I mean, so all that stuff would very quickly go away rather than me having to you know, adopt as much stress as you put yourself through um, to okay. keep it maintained. Okay. Well, maybe you know, we just need to simplify this. Year. I agree. That I sounds think great. Maybe this 2013 will be the year of simplifying. But not 2013? 2013. 2023. Yes. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. I was being distracted by one really So, But uh, yeah, I would like to, Alejandro, play a lot more games. And I'd really like to start reading again. Something <laughs> that I used to do all the time, obsessively. And I have not done really for probably 20 years. Uh, but anyway. So, uh, Alejandro's saying, how, how would we play a game daily? Apparently not, Alejandro. We would play them uh, a few times a week. Uh, do you see yourself, or I, but I'm going to expand that to us, buying more than a dozen games each year? Or would you be less interested in seeking hot games? So now that's an interesting thing, specifically that you mentioned a dozen, because when I first retired, when I hit 45, uh, give or take, yeah. I think it was 45, oh. and Jen cooked the books and figured, yeah, we could probably make a go of this. I'll keep working because I refuse to stop. But yeah, you probably don't have to work anymore and we'll be able to make it and cruise till we get to retirement age and it'll probably just work out. Didn't work out. Turns out I did need to start working again because things get more expensive over time and (laughs) life happens and uh, new expenses pop up that you didn't expect. But... When we were talking about that, and I was like, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm hardcore into these games. We pay two or $3,000 a year for buying all these games. Well, obviously, we won't be able to do that if we retire. What would it be instead? And we figured probably about a game a month. Probably about a game a month. Um, and so, yeah, that would be 12 a year. And I think it probably would be something like that. I mean, maybe something, maybe we we're saying more like 100 bucks a month. A, oh. a game budget of like a hundred bucks US a month. So that you know, on average, is probably going to be one and a half games a month. Uh, you know, occasionally there'll be some big crazy two hundred fifty dollar game that will you know blow out the budget, and other times there'll be a lot of fifteen or twenty dollar games. So yeah, I would say something like that is what it would turn out to be. It's interesting. 
Um, if you go to goi.rado.com, that's short for Games of Interest. That was a geek list that I ran for years, where every year, anytime I saw a game that was interesting to me, I would add it to the geek list, and I would say what was interesting about it, and people followed it, and board game publishers posted to it, and designers, and it was a very hot thing, but it took so much time to maintain that I stopped it eventually a couple of years ago. But... The reason I started it had nothing to do with the channel, even though it kind of morphed into a big part of the channel. The reason I started it was because, if you go back and look at the very, very first, I think if you go to any of my games of interest year, you can find a link back to the first one. The first one said, where's the effect of, hey, I just retired, and I can't afford to get every game I want anymore, so I'm going to make this list, and if people could advise me on which games they think are the best, that would really help me. So, something like that might start again. Although, these days, I'm pretty good at doing research myself to know if it's a game that we want or not. So, I think that's what we would stick to. A hundred bucks sound reasonable to you? Yep. Totally reasonable. Although, oh. we also have a huge selection of games. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like I said, a hundred bucks a month. is That's like a couple of new games a month. I mean, as opposed to where we're at right now, where it's probably 20 new games a month that we are floating at any given time. Uh, third question, would I stay in touch with the gaming industry other than assisting the channel or attending conventions, events? Would I go completely outcast? I'm, I'm sure... Well, I mean, uh, you may have noticed Alejandro and others. I think Daisy wants down now. I think she's, she's dead. Oh, she's Daisy's to... dead. Let i got to get down. Nope. You're back up, Daisy? All right. She says I am. Oh, there we go, Daisy. Um, what was I saying? Okay. Uh, yeah. One of the things I've been trying to do is guest spots on the final thoughts of Kimberly and Shay's videos. And Amy and Maggie, I just did one. Before too long, I'm sure I'll do one with Ruel as well. And that is kind of a preliminary step I am taking to, you know, the, when, when I stop doing run-throughs. I mean, the problem is, at the end of the day, uh, um, more people will watch me doing a run-through than anybody else on the channel. And as hard as I try to convince everybody that Shay and Kimberly and Ruel and Amy and Maggie and you know, anybody else who comes on board eventually... Am I forgetting somebody? No, I think that's right. There are four primary run-throughers at the moment. Do just as good a job as me. Um, you know, they're different. They have a different energy and all that. But in terms of actually the task at hand, letting you know if this is a game that you should buy, you're going to get just as good an idea watching Kimberly run through a video as you would me. And that's really the only purpose for my videos. So I'm constantly trying to convince people of that. But it doesn't change the fact that, yeah, 20% more people, 30% more people will watch it just because of me. So I'm trying to angle into a situation where, oh, well, I'll just show up in the final thoughts. And you'll still have me. And I'll end up talking with them. And that's all pretty cool. The last couple I've done, including with Amy and Maggie, uh, I'm just literally talking to them on the phone with an earbud in my ear. And, you know, they're wearing headphones or whatever. And we're just recording ourselves locally. And then they send me their video. I edit it together. That is something I could see continuing to do going forward. So that you'd still be getting my opinions. You'd still be seeing my energy. I mean, you see this in a lot of Tom Vassell's videos. These days, a lot of times, um, hey, Tom Vassell starts talking, but then, oh, it's Mike Delisio actually breaking down all the rules and describing the game, and then suddenly Tom pops back up for the final thoughts. So I'm kind of thinking that is going to be something in the future that you'll see more and more of me doing. I mean, you're already starting to see it more and more. And then, as a result, less and less um, actual doing the hard work of running through the game itself. That's kind of like a long-term goal. As for uh, going to conventions, I don't know. I mean, honestly, the main reason we go to conventions right now is so that Jen can sell her glasswares. And that gets back to Jen is constantly trying to 
keep working. Um, <laughs> and so I suspect we would. I suspect there's certainly another thing that would happen is we spend a lot more time on the road. And, um, you know, and certainly being on the road means we could um, arrange things so that we swing by conventions. I mean, there's I mean, there's kinds of medium-sized regional conventions all over the place all the time. So I could certainly see that happening. <clears throat> but I think the main reason it would happen is so that Jen could set up uh, a table and, you know, sell sell a lot of glass. So, you know, that's probably... But I think that would be the main reason for it. Um, because... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I, I am a shy, introverted, very quiet, withdrawn person. That is my natural state of being. And so, yeah, I mean, being the, the, you know, the life of a party convention is something that I can do. It's a skill I have, but it's not something that I, you know, I seek out necessarily. Uh, do you have anything else to say about the, uh, far flung future where I have, how did he say it? Where I've retired from Rado runs through honey pie. Anything on those three topics or anything else? I put this in your section because I figured you'd have stuff to say. Yeah. She's um, been spending this whole time on her phone trying to find her words of wisdom. Yes. I should have done it before I sat down. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You start off strong. Saying, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to do half of all the financial maintenance of this uh, marital community. <laughs> um... I actually wasn't talking about the financial maintenance. I was talking about all the householdy stuff. What do you mean, like, just uh, doing the dishes? Just everything that needs doing to run the household. All right. Um, if I do the dishes, I vacuum. I. <laughs> you don't vacuum. We have a robot. St- right. Yes, and that's the point. <laughs> I, we will get a lot more robotic, automated processes for everything. <laughs> if I have to do something, then well, okay, let's find a way to automate this, or let's rethink whether we even need this. I don't want to water plants. Plastic plants are just fine, thanks. You know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, put more hummingbird stickers on the windows rather than having to constantly, you know, fill and empty and make sure they don't freeze over all the hummingbird feeders. That is my natural predilection towards everything. Um, yeah, it's not a bad predilection. Yes. I know. I need to simplify myself. Yep. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not going to take on 50% of gardening tasks just because... I mean, it's nice to have fresh squash, and I know you take a real pride in it when you're preparing it, but it's like, mm. if you want me to start cooking half the time, well, that'll be 50% of the time we will have cold tuna fish and mayonnaise <laughs> in a bowl for dinner. That'll be half of our, you know, it's all the protein you need. Easy peasy. Is that, you know, be careful what you ask for, honey, is what I'm saying. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> delightful. Yes. So anything else to say on this before we move on to the next question? I don't question? think so. I nope. think I right. have to figure this out myself and let you know how it's going to be. Yes. Well, Alejandro or anyone else, if you have any follow-up questions about this, it's a very interesting topic. Uh, Kirk, I always think about buying some of Jen's Gamer Glass. And I he know, always thinks about always. it? Always. Kirk, 20, if our, wow. he gets up in the morning, he's thinking about your glass. He goes to bed at night, he's thinking about your glass. He watches <laughs> any video of mine, he can't see the screen, he can't see the game, he can't hear me talking about it. All he sees is that little sign right there over my shoulder saying GamerGlass.art, uh, which they you can't, can't see right see. now. I, well, I mean, it's because we're in this special thing. They oh. saw it at the beginning of the show, and they oh. see... You know, oh. um, anyway. Oh, no, I, I would have you would have to appear on screen if you wanted to see. But oh. yes, it always appears right there. Okay. Anyway, though, I know it would be insta-buy if I was at a convention with you guys. I guess I'm just not much of an online shopper. Plus, shipping to Germany. Oh. How is your shipping to Germany? Unfortunately, right now, I can't ship to Germany. Period. Why? Oh, really? What does that mean? Germany has come up with some new weird packaging law oh, yeah? thing where you have to register with a German company who is going to track 
your really? packaging and whatever. Like, oh, you don't have wrapping. to have a partnership with like a German industrial partner who becomes like your local salesperson. It's just, no. but there are now third party German distribution channels it's, you have to go through. It's for waste management. Oh, really? It's for packaging oh, wow. and, you know, like the bubble wrap I wrap around the glass. Yeah, pieces, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff. So I have to actually register with somebody like that. And then somehow, I don't know, Etsy had a very brief, sketchy amount yeah. of information about what uh -huh. you have to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I tried to look into it and it was so Byzantine and wow. I couldn't figure it out. And wow. I just thought, you know what? So you no longer ship to Germany. I can't. Well, that's going to make Kirk even more obsessed. I'm sorry. He was can't... already losing sleep over this, and now... He needs to just come to um, BGGCon or something. Well, speaking of, one related question for each of you. Richard, which game do you think was the best match for some of the pieces Jen has ever made and why? And then, uh, I guess, a similar question to Jen. Has any specific game inspired you to design something in Glass 4? And if so, which game and what did you make? Oh my gosh, there's I been guess... so many games. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jen's made stuff for hundreds of games. Well, not uh, hundreds. Uh, dozens. Dozens. Dozens, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do yeah. have a tendency to exaggerate a bit. I apologize for that, folks. Hopefully, well, I just hopefully don't you want know that. To think no, but you're entirely right. I mean, I, I'm what I'm. I'm Everything inflates in my brain. I just, I can't help it. Um, is uh, what what is the simplify? best game piece Jen's ever made? I think really those little skulls. What, what, what game did you make those little skullies for? Well, that was for a game convention in Ghent, remember? Oh, it was that pirate thing, right? Yeah. Yes. So they were just kind of like a general purpose. Hey, yeah. you could use this skull in anything, but here's some pirate games that it works well in. Well, the, their theme, their convention was pirate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, like, and to... I mean, I think, I think, I think, I've always thought those were some of the neatest things you did with the different colored eyes and stuff like that. Oh, Scullies, I believe you call Scullies. them. Um, so I think that's probably my favorite of them. They work just really nicely in a lot of variety. Mm. I mean, and, uh, you've done lots of nice things. Yeah. To the question he asked you, I know the main one I can think of. Has any game inspired you to design something to make glass for it? The answer would be... Well, we I made special pieces for Gloomhaven. Yes. Not for sale, but for Jen and I when we were first in a Gloomhaven so hard and I was playing the Mind Thief and I had a little rat yeah. uh, familiar. It was like a group of rats. And Jen literally made a little group of rats in glass and then she made your singles. And now, I mean, those are one of your lines too. Yeah, I but don't you make the group of them. Yeah. But I make the single. My, and my there's like a single one. Oh, you don't do the triple one anymore? No, um, it ended up breaking actually. Oh, it didn't? Oh, yeah, okay. Because I right. think we tossed it in the box a few too many times mm. and it had little um, it had little You'd have to. <laughs> it had little tiny, uh, anyway, yes. little mice sticking up and they weren't um, you know as, oh I didn't know that yeah um, so and then, and then you like made a robot for us I mean you, you made several glass oh, pieces yeah, from when we were playing robots. that game yeah. yep. when, when we had an automaton that um, we could summon because I was just like a summoning master I loved the summoning system so I was just every time oh can I summon skeletons hey let's bring in some of the scullies too yay yeah that was cool but I would say that the piece that I um, designed for and then they held hands has been oh. one of my most successful pieces as far as really? a design for uh, Really? Games. That's a really simple. That's just like a cuz that that was just like one of your standard well the pawn shape but pawn shape and like then like a, a simple disc, right? Little tuffet that went with it. But they were like kind of dual colored cuz of the whole yep. it's a couple working through the relationship theme. Yeah. And that's one of your most successful I didn't know that. Well, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of stopped making them cuz <laughs> I have sort of stopped making sets of things. Uh, mm. I'm just making one-offs now. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, I would say that was a really popular one. It was called My Friends Design. Right, yeah, Friends, yeah. And I mean, you've done stuff. I mean, you... Oh, well, I did the pandemic I was just going to say, your pandemic ones are pretty popular, yep. right? And yep. I've got pawns for pandemic as well, which have kind of this interesting um, webby 
black thing that <laughs> spreads through the color, which yeah. is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think it, it, yeah, and sometimes people will get in touch with me for whatever and say, can you make this or that? And if I feel like it would be well done in glass, um, I'll give it a go. Okay. Uh, next up, to both of us. Um, this is from Kirk. For me, a flat or bad end game can ruin the game that I was enjoying up to that point. Yes, for Kirk. A uh, great example of this is Raiders of the North Sea. Uh, Kirk finds the mechanism interesting and loves the buildup, but it all falls flat in the last third of the game. I'm either bored or annoyed, win or lose. How important, asks Kirk, is the end game in your assessment? of a game. Have you ever experienced a game where you loved the exposition, but the end game killed it for you? Sorry for taking so long to get to the question. That wasn't too bad, Kirk. There's plenty of people who ask much longer questions than that. <laughs> so how important for you, honey, will you just completely, wow, that was an amazing 70 minutes. I loved it. But that last 20 minutes, bleh, I don't care. I never want to play that game again. I think that happens to us sometimes. Yeah. I think we say because oftentimes the two-player game isn't as fleshed out as it should be, and they go too long, and we think, oh, if, that would sure. have been really great if it had just ended, you know, three a, rounds ago, a yeah. third of it less, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Often that'll happen when it, yeah, when when a game does not do the scaling so that, hey, you know what, uh, Terraforming Mars is the classic example of this. Two players playing Terraforming Mars have to do the work of four players, and it just it's ridiculous. It just God, this game should have ended 40 minutes ago. But no, we still have to do this because there aren't four people trying to get the oxygen level up. And it always just drives us nuts. I mean, we, it just, it just, it's just, we, we should have been done by now, right? Yeah, we really should have. You know, it's just something we kind of get a feeling. It feels like the game's arc is over, and yet we still have to go for three more rounds because we're two people doing the work of four. Yep. So yeah, I mean, so I guess you're right. That would be a perfect example of game where, wow, yeah, that first 60% was great. If it would have just ended, that would have been fantastic. Okay, so another one that pops into my mind is yeah. you tend to rush the end of games. I do. And I, I do. tend to plan for a long game. Yes. I, I play the long game. Mm. So oftentimes you'll I'll be, I'll be like, what? What? I haven't completed my stuff. To be fair, I will generally try to let... Honey, just so you know, in case you're not paying attention to me, because I know you're not, this is going to be over in a couple of rounds. Because yeah. you can see, here's where I am. You can see there's the finish line. There's me right there. <laughs> it's not going to be very long. I know you're setting up for in 10 turns, you'll get this big payday, but you might want to rethink that plan. Yeah, I know. So you are nice about that. But um, occasionally that rears its ugly head and just makes me feel a little cranky. Right. But okay. So in an example like that, because that's really Kurtz, I mean, would that ruin your feelings about the game after no, the fact? I don't think it, it doesn't. It just makes me feel like you're you're playing a different game than I am. Well, yeah. Well, I am. I mean, I generally, I mean, you ever play, folks, if there's a fast strategy, I will always take it. I am all about that bird in the hand. Bir two birds in the bush? Pfft, who's got time for that? We could get hit by a bus before we reach that bush. So <laughs> one bird for me, please. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's weird. I mean, often, uh, this has been a mistake I've made in some run-throughs where I've talked about how, wow, the game is so fast. And other people saying, my God, this game took us five hours to complete two players. And I'm like, well, why didn't you? Because, I mean, you've we've, this has been a question that's come up in the past. Do we prefer games with a fixed number of rounds or a um, you know user-defined end? Yeah. And Jen definitely prefers fixed rounds. Um, because, because otherwise it, you sneak it out. 
I, again, I don't sneak. I, I warn you, but I, I tend to... I mean, I just want to get through the game as fast as I can so we can play it again or we can play the next thing or I can get to filming it. I mean, I don't have time to luxuriate taking 50 extra rounds so you can just squeak every little bit of everything out of it. I'm just go, go, go. And again... If you, I kind of liken it to my life philosophy from the previous question, I think there's some continuity there. I will always go for the fast um, path, the path of least resistance, rather than making the big, elaborate life plan that then requires a lot of maintenance and makes you wonder, why do I have to do all this maintenance on this thing that we wouldn't have if it wasn't for me? Yep. Yep. I know. We've talked about this before. We have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would like to say I don't think... I, I t- when I'm actually evaluating games, I mean, win or lose, even if I get completely blown out, I mean, there are plenty of times when I'm just getting destroyed. I've made some terrible mistakes, and it's just horrible, and I'm kind of grousing, and like, <laughs> oh, I can't believe this. What is wrong with me? And unfortunately, I'm ruining the game for Jen because I'm so self-depreciating. But um, And then at the end of the game, it's like, oh, that was so horrible, Jen. Jen's like, what are you talking about? That was fantastic. That was such a smart design. I'd happily play that again. Where you want to go? And he's like, how could you want to? You seemed like you were having the worst time ever, and therefore I was also having a bad time. It's like... No, I mean, I completely divorce the actual moment-to-moment experience. I mean, I, I guess it's because of my 20 years of being a game designer. Yeah. I look at things um, less from an experiential and more from a, an analytical or academic. Wow, this is so brilliant. I love the way these things work together. Even if I'm having a miserable time, second to second, I'm still just in awe of the... The beauty, the majesty of the of the work that went into this design. So I think I'm very strange in that regard. You are very strange. Yes, um, but I don't you. Think anybody looks at games like that. Well, I, I think probably other designers do. I, I yeah, I think if it's if it's been your profession, I mean, you look at glass, you look at artisanal crafting very differently than I do. I imagine. Yes, that's true. Because you've been doing that for your entire adult life. So, I don't know, do you have anything else to say about a, a flat ending ruining the game for you? Not ruining that session, but ruining the game. You're like, well, ugh, I don't think I want to go back. I feel like there have been plenty of times where you are just distracted. There's too much stuff going on, and um, you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to finish this, or I certainly don't want to play it again. I'm like, honey, you should love this game. I mean, it feels like uh, that is an observation we often have, um, and then it just comes down to the fact... What is this? Uh, oh. All right. Oh, that's a... Uh... Okay, uh, that was the uh, e-bike person saying they have reported the problem to the factory. So oh. we'll see. They don't have a screen cover. So apparently your screen is just naturally scratched. Oh, boogers. Yep. Um, sorry, folks, that's neither here nor there. Um, what was I saying? Uh, so, yeah, we. I feel like that's often been the case where you have a hard time divorcing, well... I was really focusing on this. I have this deadline, but we had to play the game, and I really couldn't enjoy myself. You're like, oh, I think the game is terrible. When I'm like, no, honey, there's no way you feel this game Mm. is terrible. I feel like that happens from time to time. Yeah, I think I trust a lot of your feedback, sometimes more than my perception (laughs) Mm -hmm. at the moment. Right. Because, yeah, I do have other things going on in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (coughs) Okay. Well, that was Kirk. Uh, and that's it, folks. We are done with the gaming stuff. We're about to move on to the personal stuff. And if you would like to... Uh, well, you already did some personal stuff. It's going to give even more personal if you <laughs> stick around. So if you're not interested, we're done with the games and um, channel-related stuff. And we'll be back again next month. Uh, thank you for listening. And have a nice day. Talk to you there so long. Bye-bye. But otherwise, hang on. We'll be right back. <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, folks, we are back with personal questions and answers. Not that many this month, folks. This show is nothing without you. More questions, the questions at rotto.com. I'm sure I said that or will say that when I start the beginning of this uh, because <laughs> I'm like in a time loop. A, yep, time yep. parallax. All right, but anyway, in the meantime, Andres asks, now that you have traveled in a van in Europe and the USA, please compare these two experiences. Mm. Please go, Honey Pie. What is your thought about um, van life um, yeah, you know, in Europe versus the US? Okay, well, I think I can very safely say that the motorhome that we bought, yes, <laughs> um, which is eight feet wide or something, and I think U.S. lanes are nine feet wide. Yes, there's something like that. It's not there's you don't have a it's lot a, of it's tight. Lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, we've got a big old beast. Whereas when we did this in Europe, we had just a regular sized van. Yeah, but um, the streets and stuff are in, smaller. Yeah, are, are smaller and squigglier. So I think it's kind of a close comparison. Really. You're you're saying it's comparable. Well, the bongo on, you know, old cobble, you know, one step removed from Roman era, r- windy roads compared to the the Bravo on you know modern American. Um, well, roads. maybe not totally because we we've gone through some squirrely medieval cities in the bongo. Yes, and yes. You, we barely fit. Yeah, I know. We we did have. I mean, I remember uh, Mont Saint Michel, didn't we? We had some problems where we got into places we couldn't get out of. Or no, 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 because you couldn't drive into Mont Saint Michel. But it was, it was on that trip. I remember we did have some problems. Yeah, in France. Yep. But so, anyway. um, but I was I was trying to kind of extrapolate that our vehicle has gotten bigger, but so have the roads. Yes. But yeah. yet we are still tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, on yeah. The roads. Mm-hmm. Um. So that was that is interesting because I uh, definitely feel that it's well worth um, doing Google Maps and dropping the little guy on the road mm-hmm. so you can see what the road actually looks like before right. you go on it. Because we've, we've taken a couple of very squirrely um, paths yes. that have been scary. Yeah, And it's not like that hasn't happened to us driving in European roads too, but I mean, th- th- those seem to be the exceptions to the rule, whereas if we're not careful, that just becomes this, the norm in the RV here. Yeah, because it is Because really it's so big. wide. I mean, it's it's... Um, you know, when we're driving down the road, we are now like constantly aware of other RVs and trucks and buses. We are, I definitely think we are wider than a typical, you know, 18 wheeler long haul truck. I mean, we are more comparable to a city bus is the thing that we're in. I think that's probably true. Right. So the comparison there, you're saying you are finding it more stressful to be driving our big super mega RV in the States as opposed to the camper van in Europe. I, I think I am. Okay. Yeah. And I hope that that gets less with more experience. Sure. I'm, I'm. Of course it will. Yeah. I mean, people drive these things all the time. It's just, it's still new for us. Yeah. What else? Um, um, wow. It is so luxurious. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It is wonderful. Um, we have a, it's 20 years old. It's a, it's an older, um, but I think better build quality than what yep. they're building these days. Yep, seems to be. And it just feels so nice. Mm-hmm. We got a big enough one that we have enough room, but yet it's a small enough one that we can go most places that we want to go. Yeah. So, yeah, for like a lot of campgrounds, 30 foot is the... Oh, if you're longer than 30 feet, you, you cannot stay at this campground. So right. we did try to stay at 30 feet and not go longer than that. So we just had the most flexibility we could get without feeling scrunched. Yep. Um, so that has been really good. Um, we've only so we drove it up from California, mm-hmm. um, and then we took a weekend trip to Seaside, Oregon, mm-hmm. and uh, through Astoria, on our way home. And that was really that was really nice too. It was very nice to have the ability to just go, 
and enjoy ourselves. So um, I'm looking forward to that uh, a bit more in the future. And actually in March, we're going to take like, what, a six to eight week Something like that. driving. I thought it was longer. Holiday. It's, it's more like two and a half months. No, it's not. That's what you have in the calendar. I don't think so. You have the pretty much the entire month of March. And um, almost the entire month of April, I think. And plus, we have to go to uh, Dice Tower West a little bit early. So it's really like we're leaving at the beginning of March. Yeah. So it's like seven or eight weeks, I think. Okay, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. eight yeah, weeks. eight weeks. Yep. And we can we can um, come back a little early if we feel like we've been mm-hmm. out long enough. Anyway. But, um, yeah, so I think that'll be really fun to see how we do on the road in a living on the road situation. Mm-hmm. Um, what else are we, are we comparing? Yes, just life on the road. Uh, I mean, uh, um, in Europe, there, there's these really cool things on freeways where they don't just Mm. tell you, oh, look, here's this town that you could drive by. They actually have commissioned art that kind of captures the essence and spirit of that town to try to entice you. Just, oh, wow, look at that. We should go over there. Yeah. That's really cool. There's nothing like that in America. It's a road sign. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're just road signs, but they're really cool and artistically done. Yeah. Um, while, while still having kind of just like a stencil aesthetic to it, you know, it, uh, because you, you have to see it. It's a very simple image that you have to be able to see, you know, zipping by at 60 miles an hour. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, the you know, the rest stops, the rest stops were pretty, I mean, it, it was much more common. I mean, rest stops in Europe have restaurants and you know showers. and showers and all this stuff whereas in America because they've been doing them for a lot longer they are much more simple affairs they've just got you know maybe uh, some gar- some toilets and some garbage cans and that's about it and picnic tables and picnic tables um you know where so i mean european rest stops by and large seem to really kick the butt of american rest stops which mm. is interesting wouldn't expect that but again just in the same way that you know europe is ahead of america in terms of cellular uh, coverage because America had it longer, you know, and so hey, people who came along to it a little bit later just did it better, you know, because they had a better starting place. So that was interesting. Um, what else? We're a lot taller. Not only are we wider and longer, but we are taller. Yeah, yeah, 12 obviously. Twelve feet tall. Yep, so, twelve feet, or yeah, just under twelve feet. I think eleven, you know, eleven feet and eleven inches, something like that. So yeah. practically twelve feet tall. Yep. Which is something we have to be very aware of. Yep, and we did in the bongo as well, but mainly in parking situations, like you couldn't go under um, barriers or in covered parking or whatever. But with the um, with the Winnebago, it's <laughs> you, there's a lot of stuff you can't do. Yeah. It's hard to, I mean, it'll be interesting to compare. I mean, because we did three or four like week long road trips. Um, and most of those, I mean, I'm trying to remember what was it like? Where did we stay? Because it seems like we stayed and slept in that van a lot. Seems like it was, oh, yeah. from my recollection, it was just a lot easier to find places to just park on the side of the road and sleep. And it feels like that is harder to do in America. Mm. But I don't remember. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of, you know, trying to, the experience, not the, you know, not, not the mechanisms. I mean, obviously, there's different roads, different cars and all that. But the actual experience of no, living on the road. We actually, did we have to eat out more? Did we have to... Um, was it harder to find places to sleep? Uh, what about getting gas? I mean, you know, all those kinds of moment-to-moments. Yeah. No, we... I, I had gotten us, like, a campground membership thing. And we stayed in the equivalent of a campground membership thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they were, they were just everywhere and it was easy to get them. I mean, we didn't have to worry about them being full or too expensive or anything. Yeah. Because we, in just our brief time here in America, often they're full or they're crazy expensive and getting more expensive all the time. And, 
but that was not the case in Europe. No, but we, we've always traveled in the off-season as well. Yeah. So it might be in the summertime, just equally bad or worse mm. in Europe. Yep. Okay. Anything, anything else? Because if not, we're moving on to Brendan. Yeah, I think that would be a better question after April. Okay, there you go. Ask again, Andrus. Brendan says, if you are RVing to something like the oh. Dice Tower West Convention, which we, we are, we are. what will you do with the pups during the day? Well... They um, will stay in the RV. They will. And, and they will sleep all day. Pretty much like they stay in the house and sleep all day in the house right now. Yep. But you're going to go out once yeah. an hour and check on them. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, once an hour is not necessary. I mean, well, first of all, we looked at the weather. It's going to be relatively cool because it's early March in high yeah. desert country. But even if it was, I mean, the, this thing, this this house, or this house on wheels is not like a car. You know, um, you left me on the trip up. You left me parked, and it was a fairly hot day when you went and I, I, I forget what town about the we day were of in. Crab? Huh? Yeah, yeah. When you went, I mean, we, we walked to the you got the crab. I took the crab back, put it in the fridge, and then you walked around and did stuff for about an hour. And it was a hot day, um, sunny, bearing down, and I uh, just recorded a podcast. It was a little warm, but it was no big deal. Um, it feels like from that one brief experience that, um, this, you know, this thing doesn't just become an oven like a car does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially if you close the blind. So there's not sunshine just bleeding into it like crazy. Yeah. And it's got the roof vents. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's got roof vents. So, you know, and hot air rises and comes right back out. So I don't think it's going to be, I mean, I mean, obviously it can be a problem. You know, your dog's overheating in a little car on a hot day with the sun just bearing down through all the windows and just literally, hmm. you know, cooking the inside of that car. Yeah. But I, I think the atmosphere of this RV, because it's so big, it's it's really its own internal little climate. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, and so asking, well, can the dog stay in it all day? It's like, well, can they stay in our house all day? Yes, they can. Um, yeah. You know, it does like have... We're in Death Valley and... August. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it does have a generator and it has an air conditioner. So if it were a hot day and we had to leave them for a couple of hours, we could literally just leave the generator running and leave the air conditioner on for them. Yep. But I don't even think that would necessarily be necessary unless, like you said, it was some really super extreme thing like Death Valley, um, which is certainly not what we're doing. And I don't think there are probably very many um, conventions that are taking place <laughs> in, oh, yeah, you know what? It's topping 95 degrees Fahrenheit every day. Um, but, you know, if it were something like that... Well, that, Gen Con happens in... Which one? Gen Con, doesn't it? Somewhere hot every July? Uh, Gen Con is in summer in Indianapolis. I went there once, and it didn't seem like it was particularly hot. Yeah. But that was like five or six years ago. It just seemed like, oh, it's just pleasant now. It's like shorts weather, but it wasn't blazing hot. Mm, okay. Anyway. So, I mean, yeah. If it were, if we were, did find ourselves in a place, yeah, we would, well, probably, probably we just wouldn't do that convention if it were in a place where it would just be too hot for the dogs to stay in the RV. And remember, if you have dogs, they sleep (laughs) 75% of their lives away. Yeah. Um, Plus, they're older now. Yeah, they're both older dogs. So, I mean, I'm not too terribly worried about it. Do you have any other thoughts on this topic? Uh, When we we took um, Dobby... Mm-hmm. On the big road trip before we moved to England. Yes. We were in uh, New Orleans. Yes. And we boarded her with a vet for the day when we wanted to go do a Segway tour. Oh, because that was a hot and muggy place. Yep. And there was no way we could leave her in the car. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I would certainly be willing to make arrangements mm. should they become necessary, either with a, a vet or a dog boarding place or yeah. something like that. Um, but I don't think in March. 
in Vegas is going to be a no. problem. Yeah, I mean, I've already looked at the weather. It's not going to be a problem. And you can go out every hour or every other hour and just check on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okie doke. Daniel says, She-Hulk. You said, this was responding to a previous question, people complaining about CG are only complaining because Joe is a female lead. What's your estimate? How many people are like that? 50, 70, 90, 100? Is there any possibility that people really hate the CGI in the show without having a hidden miso- uh, misogynistic... Is that how you say it? Mis- yeah. Yeah, misogynistic agenda. Yes, Daniel. I will... I, don't, I do not know what I said, but chances are, as I mentioned earlier in this very podcast, I do have a tendency to inflate numbers. <laughs> um, I would really agree. Yes, of course... Um, there were definitely uh, people who were just like disappointed with the CGI. Um, but I don't know. I saw so much hate thrown at that show that was just for absolutely ridiculous, asinine issues. And then if you watched all the way through their video, sooner or later, they would start complaining about, well, and she didn't even deserve her powers. Um, you know, they were just handed to her. I mean, all the stuff that the show itself skewers. That show was so meta-level self-aware of what the audience was going to do because there's a certain segment who are just blatant misogynists. They don't think they are. They don't know they are. But, and they don't want to outwardly acknowledge that they are. So they will complain about other stuff. Was the CGI as great as, you know, a feature film? No, of course it wasn't. Is the CGI better than the vast majority of other television shows? Yes, it was. Um, And it's interesting, too. As the show went on longer and longer, the CGI got better and better. I mean, the last couple of episodes, it was near feature film quality with really no um, degradation at all. Um, And yet, at that point, I still saw people saying, oh, cringe, look at how terrible this is. And like, what you talking about that is photo freaking real um you know and uh, so i saw plenty of examples where no i mean it was rough in some scenes it was rough in the early episodes because they literally had less time i am sure the cgi houses were working on them to up to the week before they aired you know rendering and more sub subsurface scattering for you know better light bouncing through the skin and all of that kind of stuff and yet people would still trot that out as a very very easy well, I don't want to say what I really think, so I'm just going to say it looks terrible. It's like, no. But yeah, I will certainly grant you. As for what percentages, Daniel, I don't know. Um, I, it is worth pointing out, of course, that the vast majority of people who watch the show loved it. But of course, the vast majority of people don't then go and create a YouTube channel or you know spend all day on Twitter complaining about how much they hate it because... They're really kind of threatened by the message of the show, which is, hey, you know what? Maybe women should have some time in the sun too. Um, and uh, but yeah, so I, I, percentage-wise, I couldn't tell you. I, but the more important percentage is the vast majority, the vast silent audience just loved it because it was fantastic and can't wait for it to come back. Or have heard a crossover with Deadpool, so we have dueling, um, you know, uh, talking to the camera type, fourth wall breaking stuff. Although it's see, well, nope. I was about to do a spoiler. I'm not going to do a spoiler. Um, So yes, I would apologize, Daniel, if I over-exaggerated for effect. I have a tendency to do that. And then continue with the political compass thing. Uh, Daniel is two to the right, two to the top. Remember, we we did it, and then we realized, oh, we were reading it wrong. (laughs) No matter what we do, it's the same. And we, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm mostly middle, left, libertarian. I understand why you thought I was much more to the right, uh, but why so much towards the bottom? Uh, Right, uh... Oh, I, I, boy, I'd have to go back and look. I do not remember the particulars, Daniel. I don't even know. Uh, I remember the sample of where we were. I don't. Yeah, we were in the bottom we... left. Uh, there was and a Daniel, sample. 
Huh? Wasn't that the sample? No, but then we did it again and we saw that we were further. We thought, wow, we're really close to the middle. Nope, we're much farther left and we're oh. uh, than we thought we were. Um, and you, so I guessed it to what you were. The problem is, Daniel, I do not remember what it was now. Um, I my assumption is you thought I would have been lower, Daniel. I assume you are probably relatively conservative when it comes to. Uh, I, I'm assuming you're less conservative in your um, your social mores. Let's say I'm going to assume you're not anti-gay marriage, for example, or against. Um, LGBTQ rights, as an example. I'm going to assume most of your conservatism expresses itself through gun rights and um, oh, economic things and, and, and maybe like uh, you know border stuff. That's just my assumption, my guess. I don't really know. I've never met you. So I, I, I assume that my preconceived notion of who you are, because obviously every single person looks at the world through their own personal lens. And so, I kind of assume everybody agrees with me about everything. And oh, and I have tangible evidence that Daniel does not agree with me about some stuff. When I've got sight, well, you know, he probably still agrees with me about most things, really, because they're just so obviously in the right. Because obviously I'm in the right, because I wouldn't feel that way if it wasn't right, because we're all human beings and we're all skewed towards our own perspective. So I would expect that's where, uh, that's how I ended up coming up with whatever it was I said. I'm sorry, I do not remember the particulars though. And Jen has left the building, of course. So we are going to pause for a second and she'll come right back. And we are right back. So, Jana, who, if I recall correctly, is the only two-time R&R contest winner of all time. Congratulations, Jana. Um, says, since you've been uploading the podcast to YouTube, I've started watching. I don't listen to the podcast, uh, so didn't really know about this show before. I have a burning question, but it is ridiculous. I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> you've mentioned. Wait. You've mentioned you have many chickens, so I was wondering, what do you do with all those eggs? If I'm not mistaken, you have over a dozen chickens. Um, that's a lot of eggs. I love baking desserts. Does Jen bake desserts with them or what? Ah, well, we eat two eggs each every day for yep. breakfast. That's four eggs a day. Yep. And then I share the rest with family and friends and neighbors. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not always, well, how many eggs do we, we have? 15 or 16 chickens, right? We have 17 chickens. 17 chickens. But that is not 17 eggs a day. Far no, from it. No, we've got old chickens, so. I mean, what is the absolute height that we can expect? Like maybe twelve eggs a day, fifteen no. eggs a day. So we've. I mean, got, if they're all you know firing on full. If, if, if yeah, everybody decided. If nobody's molting. <laughs> yeah right. Um, but that'll never happen because yeah, they're always in and out of sync with each other. Yeah. I think maybe ten a day. And that's like high numbers. Yeah, that would be if a couple of the old ones laid an egg that day as well. Yeah, I, I, so, you know, several of our chickens are pretty much past their egg laying prime yeah. now. So I we have we have eight young chickens. And I know, like I said, so you said ten a day. That's like, that's like amazing. If that if you get a ten egg day, yeah. So an average egg day is probably like six or seven. Yeah. With our seventeen chickens. Yeah, and right now we've got five uh, hens that are in their prime. Yeah. We've got three young ones that haven't started. They have, are about yet. to start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so we're gonna see an increase, but we'll eventually see a decrease too. I mean, there have been times where we're like, oh, we got two eggs a day. Yeah. That's not gonna do it, chickens. Yeah, I say. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we have four eggs a day between us. You don't do anything else with those eggs. Just breakfast. Eggs are breakfast. You're not making Sometimes I make French egg, toast. egg salad sandwiches, you know, egg really? salad. I'm yeah. trying to remember the last time you did that. Well, it's been a while, honestly. Yeah. But hard, yeah, hard boil them sometimes. Um, 
Incredibly rarely, though. Yeah. I mean, no, you, I we, we, we have much, four eggs a day. So, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the rest just all go to neighbors, our favorite neighbors, or she, uh, you know, gives them away. Our neighbors all keep saying, you should charge us for these. And we're like, no, don't be ridiculous. Yeah, we're not going to charge. I yep. enjoyed the chickens and. Yeah. So, yep. All righty. Uh, Jan, if you lived in the neighborhood, you'd probably get some too. <laughs> Nate says, here's a goofy personal question for Jen. No. Oh. What word in the English language do you find funniest? Oh, uh, well, I can tell you my favorite German. What is your favorite German word? I got kartoffels a lot. Yes. Yep. Kartoffels a lot. Yep. Potato uh, salad. Potato salad. Uh, let's see. In uh, in English, I would say probably something like kerfuffle. It's a good word. That's a good one. Yeah. You like kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. That's a, that's an excellent one. All right, there you go. And that's it, folks. Like I said, we did not get that many questions this well, month. Well, are you going to say what's your favorite? Didn't ask me. That was a question for Jen. Um, so I dodged a bullet. Phew. <laughs> uh, so we're done with questions. Um, now we are going to get to Jen's words of wisdom. A beautiful day begins with a beautiful sunset. Mindset. 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 <laughs> it does be a terror. It makes no sense. A beautiful day begins <laughs> with a beautiful mindset. When you wake up, Take a second to think about what a privilege it is simply to be alive and healthy. The moment you start acting like life is a blessing, I assure you, it will start to feel like one. Uh, time spent appreciating is time worth living. And that is attributed to no one. Yep. I feel like I should do a search for that now. I'm going to do a quick search. A, B, A, beautiful day begins <laughs> with a beautiful mindset when you wake up take a second let's do a google search and let's see it'll fix my typos and um that does not seem to be assigned to anybody the mind's journal the mind's journal or the yeah the mind's journal good thoughts words pinterest yep so you just got you just stumbled across that somewhere yep it does not appear that that is attributed to anybody but i would certainly say oh wait here it is. Here it is. That nope. It's unknown. That was uh, attributed to unknown, and then some Greek letters. So apparently, that is very ancient wisdom, folks. And I agree. Uh, you know, just a pre. I mean, just stop to think. I mean, whatever it is, no matter how bad it seems. Hey, you're still breathing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and it's 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 still amazing. All righty. Um, then we got a couple of dog pictures. Nigel, as always, steps up and brings us Charlie facing stage left and Sky facing. Stage right. Oh, Let's so fabulous. I gotta get their noses. There we go. Noses. So, who do you prefer, honey? Uh, Charlie, Sky. Charlie, Sky. If you could only have one, which would it be? Charlie, Sky. Charlie, well, Sky. Sky. I would have to say Sky too. Sky is looking up with uh, enthusiasm and excitement. Charlie seems a little haughty and standoffish. No, I would have to say in that He's looking picture. off into the distance. Very wise and noble. Yes. That 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 uh, that golden lab. Okay, and then finally we have a few little spoilery things about TV Ooh. shows. Uh, back to Alejandro one last time. Skip the question if it's already been asked. You were Ooh. the first to ask it. Thoughts on Rings of Power. Ooh. Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Did it? Remember, folks, we're in spoiler territory now. We're going to be talking about Rings of Power and the new uh, Game of Thrones show and some other... Oh, Andor. So get out now if you don't want any spoilers for those shows. Although, to be honest, we really don't have anything to say about Andor because we haven't watched it yet. And yet I still found things to say. So, folks, if this is goodbye, you're avoiding the spoilers, thank you for watching or listening. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. And otherwise, back to it. Here we go. Honey.
Your thoughts on Rings of Power. Does it upset you that they have deviated from the lore of the narrative? Such as, again, spoilers, folks. Huge spoilers here. Such as Sauron not coming in Anta in Anatar elf form to win the elves' trust. Um, all right. So. I think it was a very, very good show. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked... I think I know. I think I liked everything that they did. Um, yeah, I I read a bit of extra Tolkien beyond the four books mm-hmm. a long time ago. Yeah, I remember you saying you tried to read the Silmarillion and just couldn't bring yourself to do it. And you must have been like twelve or thirteen at the time, I guess. Oh, I think I was older than that. But, really? Okay. Um, yeah. So you know, a lot of it wasn't all that pertinent. Um, to me, like, I wouldn't go, oh, well, this, there was that in the books and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I guess I'm not enough of a geek that it mattered. Yeah, I mean, since he brings this on specifically, Sauron um, was in his fair form and basically hung out with the elves for, I don't know, decades or centuries and, you know, and worked very closely with him to make the rings and all that. And, of course, it was all just compressed down into, hey, over the course of a couple of weeks, this random guy who we found out in the ocean turned out, you know, and all that. Mm. Um, it didn't bother me at all because I don't really have any great love of the original text. I've always found um, Tolkien to be way too much of a slog to read. But more to the point, this show is not a prequel to the books. It is a prequel to the movies. It is set in the movie universe, not the book universe. Yeah. And uh, we, we've, we've had literally now a generation to live with um, Peter Jackson uh, and, you know, and, and all of his cohorts' interpretation. I mean, Arwen did not save Frodo. Uh, some other rando dude that nobody remembers. Although, of course, a hardcore... No, that should have been Bizzle Sloops. That was his big moment. He's the one with the river of the Scooby Dops and whatever. Bizzle Swoop. Don't forget Bizzle Swoop. And, um, and I mean, I, I remember back in the early 2000s just be, reading things where people were so outraged and upset that Bizzle Swoop was not there. You look it up. I may be pronouncing it incorrectly because Elvish is tough, but phonetically it's Bizzle Swoop. <laughs> um, but you know, now it's like, oh, that's fine. It's just, uh, you know, artists. To adapt from one medium to another, you have to um, take liberties. You have to make it work. I mean, it would have been ridiculous for the uh, Lord of the Rings movies to take place over the time frames that the books take place. I mean, the books take place over hundreds of years. You know, uh, Gandalf is stuck doing his research for like 30 or 40 years, isn't he? And that would just be... Audience was like, what? 30 years later, he comes back and says, let me see the ring. I mean, he's like, whoa, whoa, what just happened for 30 years? I mean, it's fine in a book, but it doesn't work. And so by the same token, hey, you know what? Um, you need to simplify. You need to streamline. Um, you, you, you've got certain things you want to do, certain things you want to address. Me, I love the show. I thought it was great. Um, my favorite thing about the show, because we're in full-on spoiler territory, was the er- in the early episodes, and I wish they could have dug into this more, but, you know, the darkness had to rise, so they didn't have enough time to focus on it, was the tension between man and elves. That, um, you know, mankind kind of hated the elves. Elves kind of hated man because, hey, you you fought on behalf of Sauron, and, okay, we're going to take care of you. We're going to protect you. But we look down on you. 
And, um, you know, and there's just, oh, that, you know, that one elf, he's a human lover. And, um, you know, and, and all, I mean, I thought that stuff was fascinating. And I really, I, I would have been happy if the entire um, show just took place in that one village. And it was just a deep dive onto the fundamental tensions between what well, was effectively an occupying force the elves, um, because you can't be trusted, humans. Um, obviously, has certain real-world parallels. And I would have loved to see more of that. So that stuff was really, really cool. And then the other thing I was really surprised by, the number of times we were sitting in our comfy chairs watching, that it literally made us jump. Um, you know, I have never, in no point in any of the Jackson movies was I ever as creeped out by an orc or an uruk or anything as I was by that first orc that was in the kid's house. Mm-hmm. And the kid, no, the kid, you know, the kid's hiding. And it's just like, that was a terrifying, scary moment. And in a way that it never was. I mean, because they're just cannon fodder in the movies. Mm -hmm. So I thought they did a lot of really cool stuff there. Um, And then, of course, the uh, relationship between Elrond and Durin was wonderful. I would have have happily in the whole show just been about that, too. Um, And uh, honestly, it was so brilliant to say, hey, let's make the whole center of this thing be um, Galadriel. Oh, good, because that's a character I remember from the movie. Yay! Um, If that had just been Fizzle Swoop... (laughs) I just don't think I would have been as engaged in the show as a whole. Oh my God, the the Fizzle Swoops spouse and they're they're no, but Galadriel. Okay, now I'm interested. That's really really cool. So I thought it was very well done. I, I as the show went on, it, it lot. I mean, because it had to speed up and it had to right. Okay, let's just start ticking boxes and have rising doom and all that. And like, oh, this is less interesting now. But it was still done well right up until the end. Um, I mean, it's kind of dumb that they're trying to make, oh, Isildur, did he die in the fire? We all know that he didn't die in the fire because we kind of saw the movies. I don't know why they even bothered to do that. I appreciate, okay, the, the characters don't know, but it really kind of makes it hard to be invested in the grief of a character when we know they're fine. I don't know why, I mean, there, there just seems like no good up, there's no upside to that. I mean, they could, whatever they're trying to accomplish with the storytelling, they could have done it a different way. But overall, I really enjoyed it. Do you have anything else to say, Honey Pie? I liked the relationship between Sauron and uh, Galadriel. Galadriel. Yes. Yeah, that was fascinating. Mm. That this woman who is, I mean, has been hunting him yes. for however many hundreds of years mm-hmm. and everything was also fooled, but yet she did figure it out. Yeah. So I thought that was really amazing. Yep. Yeah. So. And I also, I like the fact that, hey, Sauron is not a bad guy. Sauron, I mean, you know, when, when they finally did the reveal in like the next to last episode or whenever it was, and he's like, look, join me, Galadriel. We have the same goals. I'm just trying to make the world a better place. Um, if you'd stop fighting me, it would go pretty smooth. And you, I think you'd be pretty happy with it. But, but you know, everybody keeps fighting me, so I have to try and force the world. I mean, I, 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 I appreciated that. You know, if he's not going to be his original ale fair form, hey, they did a different way to do it that honestly I think is a bit more interesting and engaging than, oh, he was in disguise the whole time. You know, um, and how long does that last? Alrighty. Also, have you watched and or did you enjoy the show? How well does it rate compared to other Star Wars Disney shows? I watched the first 15 minutes of the first episode and I was just found it so dull and dire and drab that I just couldn't keep going. And I was like, oh, why am I even watching this? And I know over and over and over again, I've just repeatedly heard it is literally the best show on TV. And I formally believe that must be the case. It's the most mature um, version of Star Wars. It's it's Star Wars for grownups. And I, I, I've, been, I've been avoiding spoilers, so I do intend to kind of go back and watch it. But geez, that first 15 minutes of that first episode, if it were anything else, I wouldn't even give it a second thought. And I don't care how much people would say. 
Uh, it's just it does it starts with such the opposite of a bang, um, which is certainly not Star Wars. That uh, I don't. I will go back and try it eventually. But and then finally, Daniel, what are your thoughts on House of the Dragon? Jen's never watched that, and same way she hasn't watched Andor. So Jen is literally leaving now. Um, I mean, she was just getting up, and because Gert has been going crazy, clearly Gert needs to go outside. Yep. So my thoughts about House of the Dragon. Um, it is fantastic, but you have to bear in mind. I thought the final season of Game of Thrones was fantastic, too. I um, thought that everything that happened in the final season of Game of Thrones was earned and, um, you know, was uh, you know the show was building up to it and it made sense and it was appropriately cataclysmic and cathartic at the same time. So, uh, therefore, I have no taste, obviously, because the majority of the internet, not the majority of people... Because I think probably the vast majority of people are perfectly cool with the final season of Game of Thrones. It's just the vast majority of outspoken people on the internet are not. I'm not one of them. I could easily do an entire series about how the final season of Game of Thrones is some of the best TV of all time, quite frankly. But, uh, yeah, the new show is great. Um, Tough act to follow, quite frankly. And you know, I get why they're doing what they're doing because they're trying to get their mojo back. Originally, the plan was to you know go back thousands of years and be a totally different show. With their... no, 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 we need to give people more of what they said they liked in the first few seasons. All you know, kinds of political intrigue and all that, and skullduggery, and and hey, they're they're doing it very, very well. Um, you know, there are certainly moments in that first season that just grab you and do not let go. Um, big surprises, big twists, great performances. Uh, and yes, sometimes the screen is too dark, unfortunately. I just keep reminding myself, hey, you know what? If I were there on that beach, it would be that dark. And this is realistic. I do, it does make me wish for the 80s, though, when, oh, to have a night scene, it's just literally as bright as day, and we just make a whole scene blue, and that's just a visual swordhand, so everybody knows it's dark. And oh, look, they still walk around with flashlights in X-Files, even though they can clearly see everything bright as day. Personally... Hollywood, you can go back to doing that. I know you're filming with digital cameras now, and um, so you, you you don't have to do all the tricks you used to do when you're shooting on film. Go back to using the tricks. I think we'd all be happier if um, you didn't keep lighting nighttime like it's really night. Ugh. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed uh, it, and yeah, I, I'll sooner or later I'll get around to Andor. It's just, oh man, that first 15 minutes, that first episode is just so... And apparently the whole first episode, I mean, it takes a while for it to get going. I don't mind a slow burn, but I don't think I'm particularly engaged by a slow burn in a drab, dismal world. It's like, oh, let's just be all drab and dismal and uh, just talk about our feelings or whatever it is that happens. But I'll get around to it eventually. And that's it, folks. Okay, back to me. And uh, we are done with the questions. As you saw, folks, this was, I imagine, I haven't done the first half, but this was a shorter episode than most. We need those questions questions at rotto.com. Thank you very much, though, in the meantime, for supporting the show. And we will be back in December answering your questions as always. So, thank you very much for watching, everybody. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye! I don't know if they can hear you. Come closer to the mic. Here she comes. You're going to be on camera. Bye! Bye.